0: Welcome to this omnibus edition of Happy Times and Places in which the ancient curse of this podcast will be fulfilled. I, Toby Haydoke, will watch a Doctor Who story and fail to spot what my guest's favourite things about it are.
1: Hello, um, my name is Paul Cornell, I'm a writer and um, you can find me on paulcornell.com And um, my um, story that I'm going to nominate for Toby is The Curse of Peladon. Well,
0: welcome everybody, and uh, thanks to Paul Cornell, a very pithy Paul Cornell. I'm a writer, he says. He's not just a writer, he's a Doctor Who writer. And in fact, when I was a time tot, I I only got my hands on a couple of... Sort of fanzines uh, or, or Doctor Who Appreciation Society, you know, stuff. Uh, and he was the he was the writer. He was the fan writer. Um, so he's a name I've known since I even heard about fandom, although I was never really, you know, actively involved um, in us or anything like that. But I knew his name, uh, and then of course he became a writer um, professionally, uh, and ultimately a writer of um, some of the very best of TV's Doctor, and I've not quite sure why he's not um, why he's not done more and actually I'm due to do um, human nature family of blood that he wrote very shortly which is one that I expect to be a fairly easy one to eulogize because I I love it uh, and I've met Paul at conventions uh, and always found him very uh, affable and friendly and he was one of the first people I I, I asked to this re- who replied so probably over a year ago sorry Paul um, it's just uh, I sent out a big flurry, and um, I sort of do the order uh, that I that I fancy, and I try and mix up the doctors, of course, um, and I have to be honest with you. Um, now this isn't a, Are you okay, hun? I'm feeling a bit. I've just been sitting, twiddling my thumbs, and wasting time, and feeling a little bit of. Uh, uh, sort of, it's the beginning of the year as I record this. Uh, the, you know, the dark nights are here. Um, the beginning of the year is a freelancer. You always think you'll never work again. And <laughs> and uh, my my birthday is over already. And I'm feeling a bit sorry for myself, I'm just feeling a bit glum. And I don't want to go on Facebook and go, I'm feeling a bit. Oh, and I've had a few things that have not quite worked out. And you're yeah, just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just a bit. Oh, um, so what I need to do is the two things I do to always try and make me feel better at these situations is one, watch a bit of Doctor Who uh, and in particular a bit of comfort Doctor Who. So I thought, ah, oh, yeah, this will definitely the Curse of Peladon, what's not to love about the Curse of Peladon. Never a particular favourite of mine, but also not one I, I dislike either. So I'm looking forward to sort of diving in and, and actually going, well, I've uh, you know, I've always enjoyed it, but I've never sort of, you know, Eulogised it or had it in a top ten or anything. So let's let's dive in and you know try and accentuate the positive. And the other thing I do to try and you know to always try and beat the dark is to do a bit of you know performance or sharing or whatever whatever this is. You know I'm a, a, a something creative, even if my creativity is just watching Doc Two and talking out loud into a void. So. Um, so, yeah, sorry if that's a bit of a modern thing to go, um, I'm having a bit of a bad time. I'm not, I'm just pissed, just a bit pissed off. And uh, uh, and I think we all feel like that, don't we? And, um, and and the way to deal with it is not to, oh, and I've, you know, today is the day that uh, Nadine Dorries has gone to war on uh, the BBC. And I've seen friends of mine, you know, get involved in great big back and forth with people being very mean to each other on the internet. That's been doing my head in. I have a rule not to get involved at the moment just because I think you don't change anybody's mind. And I I just don't like the kind of discourse, but it means I've been feeding off all that sort of negativity and a couple of other bits of negativity from from elsewhere in my sort of professional life. And I just sort of... uh, Oh, well, look, if you're at home and you're feeling a bit glum or uh, if you're feeling happy... um, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you say I am to if you're feeling happy. um Well, I don't know. Anyway, it's nice that you're there. But if you're feeling a bit glum, you are not alone. But the way to deal with it is not to. I've seen so many friends get absolutely sort of infuriated. The internet is tr- its a tricky old thing. Um so maybe I need to pull out of the Galactic Federation of Tweeters and Facebookers and uh, and be an autonomous republic of Haydoke here in my living room. Anyway, I don't know. Sorry. Shall I cut that? No, this is what it is. I'm going to watch Doctor Who and I'm going to accentuate the positive because that's what this podcast is. But um, I also don't think it rings true if, if, the, if the idea that I do this is because I i 'm a cheerful person I'm absolutely not I'm always I'm always arming myself against the forces of darkness who are always there tapping me on the shoulder. Uh, so you know I'm no goody two shoes this is this is this is hard fought this uh, this uh, positive thing I've got going on or try to maintain but Doctor Who makes it easier for me because I love Doctor Who and I love all you for listening. Uh, and I'm I'm very much like Paul Cornell, uh who you know, I've only met through fandom, but I've socialized with a bit and gun conventions. I've actually been to his house because we do a fantasy cricket team sometimes that Paul sets up that's uh sometimes a cause of joy and sometimes a cause of great upset and anger, actually. <laughs> but uh, no, it's a nice thing that Paul organizes. So listen up. Um that was a bit of a long preamble. Let's watch Paul's choice. Doctor Who and The Curse of Peladon. I'm watching on Britbox. Other things are available, including the DVD I've got on the shelf. But I'm still on a free month's trial from Britbox. So I'm going to press play in 3, 2, 1, now. Uh, No, I'm I'm not sponsored by Britbox, by the way. I'm not sponsored by anybody apart from uh, patrons. So... Right, so that took ages to load up, so nobody's in sync. Uh, That is the beginning of Doctor Who and The Curse of Peladon, which no, I am not going to skip intro. Oh, and I need to have the uh, remote-controlled hand in case it tries to get rid of the closing titles, which will make me kill again if (laughs) if it does. Uh, So, Doctor Who and The Curse of Peladon. Uh, We had the book. We always had the book. It was one of the early books. And it was a nice one to flick through. I always thought he was called Brian Haley's until I got older and realised how words work. Um, By which time he was... uh, Everyone on my target bookshelf seemed to be... I learnt very quickly was dead. Uh, Malcolm Hulk, anyway. Yeah, Malcolm Hulk, David Whittaker and Brian Hales. Brian Hales died at my age, actually, I think 48. um, Before The Moon Stallion went out, which was his final work that Sarah Sutton was in. Um, But we always had the book and it has some some nice internal illustrations I always like the book with the external, internal illustrations but what I loved about the book cover of this is that it you know it promised so much it's got a great Chris Achilleos who as I recall this died last month um, uh, cover with a sort of polka dotted doctor's face or whatever that 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 way of doing it is called and oh an ice warrior and Agador and Alpha Centauri and you're going oh this one looks fun it's just a a man a menagerie of monsters um, there's a nice performance here from Henry Gilbert as Torbis who doesn't last long uh, and I think he's bald in the book in the because there's the illustration of him getting killed by Agador and he's bald whereas of course on Peladon you can't be bald because you have to have a streak of pink hair to denote your 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 courtly status um, this is interesting because watching this as I am on Britbox the, the, the sound is slightly out of sync now we have a few issues with that. But actually, I I don't object to it on Curse of Peladon because my video copy of the Curse of Peladon always had a slightly sound out of sync issue. Um, In fact, I've probably seen the Curse of Peladon with its sound slightly out of sync more than I have with its sound in sync. So um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mess about with this. He's, uh, yes, he's good, Henry Gilbert. uh, And this is nicely shot. This is, you know, this is very much, you know, courtly intrigue exposition backstory drop but it's elegantly done and Henry Gilbert um, died a year to the day after this episode was broadcast Um, so uh, there must be a record for um, the length of time between appearing in Doctor Who and dying but uh, I can't well actually Jean Conroy uh, gets that who's the young woman in the wood in Dalek Evasion of Earth because she actually died before her episode was broadcast um, but that's one for another time. But anyway, a year to the day—I uh, uh, just notice—is a, is a, you know, is a, is an interesting uh, chronological curio. Um, so, gosh, that means that means he was he was dead before I was born. Isn't that extraordinary? I've 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 sort of seen him so much, and I've learnt little bits about him. There's not much to know about him, but. But you know, I, I can picture on who he is. People say who plays Torbis in *Gospeled*. I go, Henry Gilbert. He died a year today. was and yet, he was actually dead before I was born. So my during my whole existence, there has been no Henry Gilbert, and there's about to be no Henry Gilbert. But this is it's really nicely directed. All of this, I think, you know, as I said, it's it's fairly standard, you know medieval courtly corridors. You know, we've seen all this sort of thing before. But um, the set design's very nice. The set design has a sense of decent scale to it, seeing as we're sort of stuck indoors. Um, and, and it feels and looks good. And the, and the colour scheme's nice. And uh, 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 and it is the spirit of Agador. Curse of Pellet. Ah! Ah! I, do I need to do a podcast on... Um, stories in which the story title is is spoken out loud the ancient curse of Peladon will be fulfilled uh, love this uh, love this always love a model shot they're not as common I think as I I was maybe led to believe as a as a kid just because I think I saw lots of Doctor Who that I saw early was Doctor Who with model shots in it um, but I love the TARDIS landing on, on, on the side uh, of, of Mount Mageshra. Um and I uh, this was a pleasant surprise for me to see because I got home from school and oh and I think I've already mentioned this because I've done Genesis of the Daleks mum said uh, there's a thing called Doctor Who and the Monsters on tonight The Curse of Peladon and I went, well that's not Doctor Who and the Monsters that's just Doctor Who and it was a repeat season we'd already had the five faces of Doctor Who but this was, uh, this was um, The Curse of Peladon edited into two parts um and and I think Genesis and Earthshock all all edited down uh, but uh, a nice little unheralded for me anyway I you know I didn't I didn't have my ear to the ground in that uh, the, the it, you know you didn't know in those days you just had to I mean God I would sometimes spend entire afternoons um channel hopping just in case there was an unscheduled doctor who repeat and I actually did get get occasionally get luckier that didn't they repeat the, the awakening one one Sunday or something I oh, definitely yeah so you, you it would occasionally actually happen I mean I always fantasized about I remember fantasizing that they'd found the rest of the underwater menace and we're going to spring it on an unsuspecting public uh, <laughs> um, you can but dream um, I, I really like the doctor's costume i like i like the look of both of these and i like the idea that joe is glammed up for a night on the town with captain yates because uh that of course uh, that's a brilliant model shot that that means she's you know she's looking suitably regal although would you need to be dressed as a princess to go on a date with mike yates perhaps uh, well, i always thought he'd have his eye on a queen but um uh uh, uh i love this uh I love this stuff on the mountainside. The fi- the film quality just makes it look uh, so real. Although th- although this is film that has been um, reverse standards convention, hasn't it? So it's got a particular look about it. It would look different if it was if it was actually you know uh, the original film transformed from the negative. That shot of the model Tardis descending down the cliff. Give me that over CGI any day. No offence CGI, CGI is great. But for some reason, it's because I was brought up on, um, I love a model shot and I, I think that, that TARDIS falling down, well, one, it's brilliant because it strands our heroes. Quite often, the heroes getting to the story can be a bit tedious, you know, like, oh, come on, I, want, I, want, I actually want the story to hurry up. And especially when I know the story. Um, you know, I sometimes get a bit impatient with old two, and I go, yeah, yeah, because it's four episodes or six episodes. You, yeah, they, they need to take their time to get here. But actually, I don't object to it at all in the Curse of Paladon because I think it's really, really well done. Uh, and that, actually, the story is is starting here, and there's plenty of interest. And and I think the fact that we've got no location filming, but we have that that really well rendered film cliff edge and model stuff going on. I th- I I think. Uh, And that helps with the story because it means we're separated from the TARDIS. Um, And it it just works for me. It just works for me in a way that sometimes the doctor and his companion getting to the story doesn't. Um, I love Alpha. I'm so... Do you know what? This is what I like about this story is I'm fond of it. Some stories I admire. Some stories are a bit spooky. Some stories are exciting. Some stories are fun. I'm, I'm very fond of this story, and I, I wonder why that is. I don't know, because it's, it, it's not a typical um, per, Pertwee story, but it, 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 is, it is not as unusual for me as it probably was to people who grew up watching John Pertwee, because, as I say, it was one of the... If not, it might even be the first... No, it's not the first John Pertwee story I saw, but it's certainly an early John Pertwee story that I saw um and i i sort of i think later on i probably hankered for the for the soldiers and the guns and the unit and all of that sort of stuff but this is this is very fresh and and and, and different and and i think it's slightly better than some of his other sci-fi ones because and i like colony in space um but it is a bit dreary and grey um and it has a lot of mustaches in it nothing wrong with that but it does have a lot of mustaches in it um but, but I I, I I think I like Colony in Space because I try very hard, and it's got Bernard K. and Morris Perry in it, so it's it's sort of you know I'm I'm gonna like it, and John Ringham I'm gonna I'm gonna like it even if you know I'm gonna tell myself I'm enjoying it even if I'm not I don't know, <laughs> um, and and the Mutants I think is is full of great ideas, but it somehow it sort of goes wrong. I actually think this. I th- I, th- I think this because it's four episodes. It it's it's uh, it doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, um, but I, I I don't know. It just feels right. Also, in a way that Monster of Peladon actually doesn't. This is a this is a this is a I think a better production than Monster. And of course, it's shorter. Um, but I don't know. It just holds together. But as I said in the introduction, interestingly, it's not. It's not one I'd ever go if you said give me a top 10 perk. Was I'd go, oh, definitely uh, Curse of Peladon. Uh, and when Paul submitted it, I didn't go, oh, well, I need to do that one straight away. And yet, today, when I'm feeling a bit moody, uh, I, I thought, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly comforted by the Curse of Peladon. Isn't that odd that I'm going for a, 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 an action adventure series? Um, set in a medieval castle with lots of aliens, and it's actually like a warm blanket that makes me feel cozy and happy. Uh, and it does. And and I think everything, I think sometimes John Pertwee in his velvet with his big hair, uh, entertainment sticks going, it got more bouffant, you know, um, uh, can, can, can look a bit, you know, sort of comical and, and, and a bit much. Um, and sometimes Joe can look a bit cozy. That I actually think Pertwee looks absolutely superb um, and not sort of dated in this. But then again, I've never, I never sort of trust me because I could, I could watch it with somebody else who would go, "What on earth is he wearing?" Whereas to me, it actually seems like quite a normal outfit. But um, in the same way that you know we see body horror where other people see sticky tape, um, I see, uh, I see dashing elegance where other people see, um, uh, you know, explosion of seventies. Um, I. I think Brian Hales does a brilliant thing when he goes, well, okay, we've got this planet, wants to enter the Galactic Federation. Let's invent lots of aliens. And all of these aliens are great. And I, this was the bit I remembered most from watching it as a kid, was um, Arcturus destroying the vase. And that, that, it's funny, isn't it, that um, actually the, the, the genius of Doctor Who is sometimes, that you know, the writers and the production, putting things in as a grown-up, you go well, that's just a bit of a silly special effect. I don't know why, why they've done that. It doesn't really uh, add to it. Well, it, it means we do know later on that Arcturus has a gun, I suppose. So actually it has a has a plot importance, but it, it's also a, a great moment as a kid to go, oh, the funny alien head thing has destroyed a vase. It's the bit I remember, you know, very clearly. There are other bits, there are other images in this that I I, I remember from watching, and I remember exactly the room in the house I was, when I was a kid, and it was so exciting. But I think Brian Hale's being absolutely brilliant, going, you've got all these alien delegates and you've got uh, Agador, the Beast of Peladon. Um, uh, and I, actually, I think this this video conversion that they've done that gives it this slightly sort of pasteled, slightly fuzzier yes. movement um, actually, dare I say, it sort of works in its favour. It gives it a sort of fireside feel. It, 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 it I, I, you know, I can. It, it sort of complements the, the the sort of f- flamy lighting. There's some beautiful shadow here, um, and and I love the way that Epesh keeps going. <laughs> She's the Earth woman. He goes, "That's that's my mum." You're talking about. Um, but I totally buy the relationship between these two. Um, I think Geoffrey Toon is a wonderfully dignified actor, um, who of course was, um, he's Temesis in the Dalek movie. Um, I actually met Geoffrey Toon. He was touring in a production of, and then there were none, which also starred Lieutenant Scott from Earthshock and Davros, Michael Wisher was in it. Um, and, and various others, Douglas Fielding from Zed Cars. Um, so I've got Geoffrey Toon's autograph actually, um, I don't, I don't think I had a camera in those days, or if I did, I didn't get a picture. No, I didn't get a picture. You would now, wouldn't you? You'd get a selfie with Hepesh. But I met Geoffrey Toon. In later life, he lived with the actor Frank Middlemas, who I I once uh, I served towards the end of his life in a cafe I was working in. So I met, met both of that household. And I'd, I never quite got... I don't know if they were... I think they were just chums, but you never know with the acting profession. You know, did, they, did they help each other out if they were tired? I don't know. But uh, anyway, I love uh, I love uh, Jeffrey Toon in in this. It, it's 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 uh, again it's stuff that can easily be over the top or hokey or hammy. But he's got he's got a proper stage actor's dignity. He was very he got some sort of. Um, Constriction of the hands, I seem to recall, or he got some frailty about him. I remember seeing him in this production of, and then they were on and going, oh, he's he's quite frail, and he actually got killed off quite quickly, but he got a decent decent billing, um, uh, and you know, obviously, you go, well, keep working, keep working, love, and uh, so yes, I had the pleasure. I can't remember what we spoke about, but I did, it was the stage door of the Grand Theatre, Wolverhampton. And I love all of that, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Um, you know, there's a great rapport between these guys and I, I, I cave with a secret, you know, with a, a, a move, move a fl- flame holder and it opens a door. I love all of that, you know, and it is a bit, it is a bit sort of hokey, but I don't get come on, it's a kid's tea time adventure series. You, You know, I think that that's what makes it, sort of cosy and fun you go I, I, I you know I accept all of these things and it doesn't mean it uh, doesn't mean I watch Doctor 2 and accept stuff that's bad I get very annoyed when Doctor 2 is bad and is lazy but this stuff is done with enough especially as it bats him and he gets pissed off <laughs> which is just great it's a way of having fun with those things and, 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 and not being ashamed of them and not trying to be too you know navel gazing and grown up about it which I think occasionally uh Doctor Who fans want Doctor Who to be because we, we feel guilty about it being being fun. I remember this. I remember this because uh, this was a classic monster for me to see. And, of course, you know, when I was, by the time I was born, well, I was born through, during the Time Warrior. So in my living memory, the Ice Warriors were never in Doctor Who. You know, and a lot, that, that was the case with a lot of sort of classic who stuff that we loved. The top five monsters were the Daleks, the Cybermen, the uh, Ice Warriors, the Sontarans, and, and the Yeti. Um, well, the Sontarans didn't turn up in my lifetime, or you know, living memory, until the two Doctors, when I was, you know, well-established as a, you know, in my head and viewing as a Who fan. Um, I never saw... Oh, we got a Yeti and the five Doctors. we never got an Ice Warrior. Never got an Ice Warrior. Um, and... Uh, here we have the Ice Warrior and and I don't think I knew about the Ice Lord as we must not call them as the House Dammers Walker book points out in every Ice Warrior story Popular myths, Sla is an Ice Lord he is never referred to as such <laughs> Are you going to mention that for everyone? Yes we are, it's a point we've noticed and we're going to say it every time <laughs> um, I love Stroppy Arcturus, I love all of these aliens, I think the array of aliens is brilliant, but I don't think I, I don't think I knew of an ice lord because I'd I, I'd got the book and I'd looked at the pictures, but uh, I, you know I was too young to I was too young to have read it or taken it all in, um, and of course it is revealed that the ice warriors in this are goodies. Now that to a young viewer blew my mind and seemed like the most sophisticated thing of all time this it made me think and I I I love his costume and the addition of the cloak uh, from uh, from you know to tart it up from the 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 seeds of death is a is a huge improvement and Alan Bennion is great Um, two people promised me Alan Bennion's autograph and neither of them got it for me Um, he lived in Brighton uh, died a couple of years ago Um, and and the Ice Lord in Two is probably the, the, the pinnacle of his career. You know, He's had a decent career, but uh, uh, this is, I think, certainly the most notable thing they did. This is a lovely piece of direction because the Ice Warriors advance and you go, if you're a racist, you go, oh, I'm a bit intimidated by these uh, these green aliens because all Ice Warriors are bad. and of course, And so it's so disarming. Pertwee does it brilliantly because he does the I'm a bit scared and then he does the oh hang on. Uh, and of course, he will always maintain his dignity in a court situation. And that's a great thing about Pertwe's Doctor. I actually, I know people sort of take the Mickey out of his fact that it's clubbable nature and all that sort of thing. But I, I like the fact that he sets an example in courtly situations and he knows how to say my life at your command to draconians, things like that. That is a great gag and it's really nice in the book. Um, and I think they had that section in the book when in, they did a target. They, they, they did some target specials in Doc 2 magazine, didn't they? And they looked at the different writers. And I'm sure the bit they had from The Curse of Peladon ended with that gag of, you know, Arcturus going, I'm Arcturus, you're late. And that's great because that sort of says everything you need to know about him. He's the Kurt Rude Teddy in a Box. <laughs> um, and this is a, this is a brilliant sort of wheeze. They're expecting the chairman delegate from Earth. Uh, they look, they, you know, that they, they 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 look the part. Of course, the doctor has an inherent class about him. Uh, Joe is dressed as a princess, uh, and Katie Manning rises to the occasion. Uh, but it's automatically means oh, Katie's brilliant in this, and isn't she beautiful? I fell in love with her. I put TH for KM on my exercise book, and I said to my friend, do you know who that is? And he said, no. I said, that's Katie Manning. She plays Joe Grant in Doctor Who. Uh, and I genuinely thought I might be able to marry her. <laughs> uh, maybe part of me still does. Um, I think she's absolutely uh, a picture in this, and she's and she's brilliant the way that... that Joe, Princess Joe of TARDIS. And I think this is a whole great conceit because it's a bit like the time ring in, in Genesis. It's a it's a thing hanging over our heroes that is always in danger of going wrong because they're they're lying, they're here under false pretenses. So Every time somebody says we don't, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, um, we'll check with Earth or, or you know, if, if there's an idea that anyone will ever check with Earth or, or, or that the actual Earth people turn up or anything like that, uh, their ruse is gone. And so no matter what good they've done, they will, auto, you know, everyone will automatically be able to say, but you're a liar and they're, they're on a sticky wicket. Um, so that's a, that's a brilliant conceit for the storytelling and for having our heroes in constant jeopardy, uh, constant jeopardy. The the Doctor improvises brilliantly in this. I'm loving this. I love what Pertwee does. And the Pertwee is not actually a particular favourite of mine. Pertwee was made for this sort of situation. And I lo- and, and it, also the fact that he's still a bit judgmental of the Ice Warriors. Um, but that seems so sophisticated to me that... That the series could go well, you know, those baddies they can actually be goodies as well. That to me is however old I was when this was repeated. What was it? Was it something like 82? Was it? I don't know. Um, so but I wouldn't have been you know, I was under 10. Uh, made me think God, Doctor is the most you know, it's it's really sophisticated. Uh, and I think that's and I think that's brilliant that because sometimes I think. Uh, you, you know people go oh what should we do that's different what should we do different with an alien and you go well don't do something different with it I like that alien because of how it is C- cold blood I think is a great idea and a lovely story I swear on a on a submarine but it, it doesn't it, it then goes but what I'll do is I'll escape the suit and and walk around and, 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 and behave like a completely different alien <laughs> basically and then they go you know that bit where you don't know what's underneath it's mask and what's mask and what's not well we're going to give that away as well it just seemed to me to go Oh oh and you know the the hissing that they do that's their that's their distinctive method of speech. Yeah, we won't do that either. And then you go so you've brought the ice warriors back to to not be the ice warriors. What well I'm not sure. Whereas this seems to me to be a logical progression because they are sort of dignified and a warrior race and warriors aren't all you know don't you know it's a cliche to say you know all warriors are bad or whatever. Um all aliens are bad so the idea that they can kind have of changed their war ways. I love this piece of incidental music and I know it well I don't know why I'm so familiar with this cliffhanger um, but it's from obviously it's from subsequent because we didn't have it on Doctor Who and the monsters oh and I have to press a button or oh, oh, my reflexes are still there to save the closing titles god would I be would I be able to catch something that had fallen <laughs> somebody dropped a baby would I be quite so nimble but to save the closing titles of Doctor Who um Oh, uh, I ding, ding 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 ding, so but I, but but I don't know why I know that 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 closing particularly well because it, it didn't happen on on the first yeah, on the first uh, first viewing because because uh, this, this was episodes 1 and 2 together. And I I love this rendition of the theme. I love this closing titles. I love the name Markel Shah Diane who is the, uh, the 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 film editor and Ian enscoons the special effects uh who was a white witch? Well, that was cut from the Who's Round. Somebody, somebody who knew Ian scoons that I interviewed said that Ian scoons was a white witch. And some, and I'm if it wasn't a Who's Round, it was some interview I did that somebody said you've got to cut that. I went oh, okay, but I don't have to cut it from this. Apparently, according to somebody, Ian scoons was a white witch. There we go. Um, uh, but uh, right, so I'm now pausing for episode two. Oh, do you know what? I'd sort of, I'd sort of thought about this before i came you know before i pressed play and i've got well i'm obviously going to choose the fact that the ice warriors are goodies because i do love that i do love that switcheroo and as i say that so bewitched me as a kid as being just such an amazing brilliant idea that made sense and yet i never would have thought of and i remember saying to my, but the ice warriors are good isn't him going oh yeah you know they'd uh, they'd given up their warlike ways or whatever and go, that's just amazing um but actually, that's not, there's still an element of mistrust, isn't there, at this point in the story? So I could maybe choose it later. I could maybe choose it as my bonus thing. Um, but it wasn't the thing that leapt out at me this time. Oh, what leapt out at me this time, which really surprised me. And again, look, when I do this, I'm reacting in real time. And it might just be because, you know, this is, I, I make no suggest. you know, I make no pretense to definitiveness. This is me reacting to Doctor Who as I watch it Uh, and I wanted something to cheer me up but that really has I love just how comforting that was how snow I haven't got an open fire on but I feel like I have I don't know if it's the flames of Peladon or the fact that I do associate this. We had an open fire at home when I was a kid. So maybe I watched it sometime in in the past with an open fire. I certainly feel the open fire whenever I watch the Seeds of Doom and the Claws of Axos because I distinctly remember watching those next to an open fire and and, and sort of being in the glow of those and they're on a Scotch tape. I can still, I've still probably got it upstairs. Um, But this, this, I mean, it's it zipped. It's a very, very handsome production, um, and and Lenny Main, Lenny Main's productions aren't always. Um, you know, the 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 Three Doctors, uh, you, you know, has has some questionable choices, I would say. And and as I say, Monster of Peladon is a is a totally different operation to 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 this fella. But this I'm this I think is is a handsome production, even though it's. It's stuck in a studio. It does have a sense of scale to the castle. That film work outside is brilliant. That model shot of the TARDIS is just to die for. It's magic. Could have been done by a witch. (laughs) Um, But I think I'm just going to have to... And I haven't even mentioned Alpha Centauri. I think I'm going to have to go for the headline news of... Oh, with a sign mentioned to the whole fact that, you know, the Doctor is the chairman delegate from Earth and and all of that and Princess Josephine and that, you know, that hanging over them as potential jeopardy, which I talked about, which I think is so such an elegant piece of storytelling. Um, I think I'm going to have to go for the headline news that we're on a planet with loads of different monsters on it because uh, loads of different monsters have to okay where the Peladon enters the Galactic Federation. Haven't even gotten haven't even mentioned the political subtext uh <laughs> so we'll i wonder if paul will go for something along those lines of the fact that there is a, a menagerie of creatures that is just sort of what doctor is all about but you don't often get stories with a whole number of different monsters in all with such brilliantly sort of delineated personalities um yeah if he says it's the the Ice is being good, I'm going to smash the world to pieces because it because because it will it will remind me of the world I'm trying to shut out at the moment. What has Paul Cornell chosen for episode one?
1: Um, my favorite thing from episode one is that Joe is going to go out on a date with Mike Yates <laughs> because that sort of tiny little characterization of the regulars is fascinating. And um, these tiny little snippets, and they were minuscule compared with anything in modern television, really kind of put a just the first beginnings of a structure in place that would last for the rest of the show. From episode two, my
0: favourite thing. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh! Phew! I cut that. He's quick, isn't he? He's quick. Um, he's uh, a he's a scriptwriter of economy. You see, it's just. The, uh, I do agree that that is a wonderful thing. I I love all of that sort of world building that is, as as Paul says, is nothing like to the scale that you get in modern television and modern Who, where you know we know the ins and outs of how sad everybody is, and and that's fine and that's right and it's good and I've wept along with the rest. But you you get you got nothing to that sort of scale in the old days, but the little nods that you did get. Um, just you know, help to build that world and make Doctor Who, although it was a series of different adventures, feel like part of of one big universe, and that was always very very exciting to me as a as a as a as a time tot. Um, so yeah, I accept Paul's choice uh, of um, uh, Joe Grant going on a date with Mike Yates, but sadly that is not what I chose. But uh, I can very much uh, understand. Why. But I have to say that's one of those episodes where I could have chosen any number of things. Uh, And even the one that Paul chose wasn't on my list of things to choose, but I could easily have happily have chosen that as well. If somebody had said, what about that? And I'm going, oh yeah, I could choose that. So, um, well, not a great start in terms of uh, me winning the competition, but uh, uh, I certainly, do you know what? I certainly feel better than I did 37 minutes ago. God, I must have done quite a long intro. Sorry, um, it's only a twenty-five minute episode, uh, but uh, Doctor Who has left me feeling better than it found me, and that is the that is, if a piece of entertainment does that, it's done its job. Everything else is gravy, and believe me, uh, my my house is swimming in Doctor Who gravy. But for the fundamental job uh, of uh, of uh, of improving my di- diverting me from the rigours of everyday life as a 48-year-old man in the year 2022. Curse of Peladon has done the job. It was only designed to do once for much younger and less complicated people uh, in 1972. Uh, and it's still doing it uh, 50 years later. Good for the Curse of Peladon. I love Doctor Who. And look, I hope this podcast has done its job, which is, um, well, you know, the erring on the positive thing is to hopefully make you, you know... Go off with a spring in your step, or at least go, well, I've got my problems, but at least I'm not that guy. That guy being me, your host, Toby Haydo. Well, welcome back, everybody. It is episode two of The Curse of Peladon, and I have a very pithy Paul Cornell rattling through uh, his favourite things about this story. Paul, of course, is a very gifted Doctor Who writer, uh, a very nice and very interesting man, um, fiercely liberal sort of fellow, so I must bear that in mind. He's uh, he's uh, uh, you know, somebody who, um, it's no surprise he's chosen a pertwee story, I guess, because he's 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 very much, um, you know, when you see him sort of talking about things on social media, he very much, uh, you know, grapples with the, the injustices of the of the day and engages, in a way that I'm in, in, increasingly not. Um, not because I necessarily think that's the the right way. In fact, I, I think I think one probably has a duty to. But I don't know. My head is so mashed at the moment. Uh, uh, engaging in battles on social media seems far less a good use of my time and watching Doctor Who and saying nice things about it. Perhaps that's what I was put on this world to do. Uh, I thought I thought it was maybe to play the definitive Hamlet. <laughs> or, uh, 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 you know, <laughs> win an Oscar um, uh, at the height of my Hollywood career. Um, or at least, no, I don't think I was ever that confident. But at least I thought maybe, you know, be venerated for my... Shakespearean character acting, but um, no, maybe it's to talk about Doctor Who. I don't know how I feel about that, <laughs> um, and that's not to say I do it with any any great skill either. <laughs> but just it just seems to be what uh, um, uh, how I fill the gaps in my life, and just you know, you 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 lot seem to listen to it. So um, thanks for that. Anyway, um, I hope that didn't sound. Conceded. I was meant to be self-deprecating then, and then I worry it ended up with me going, and listen to me talking wisely about Doc Two. No, I don't know that I I throw this stuff out there in the hope that uh, my glib tongue and uh, uh, ability to recall the occasional fact about a character actor makes for a diverting 25 minutes. So then I occasionally fall down introspection alley or uh, uh, go to uh, uh, self or take a turn down the self-deprecating uh, road that then seems to pull out into self aggrandizing peninsula. Oh, God, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about now. But anyway, whatever. Shut up and watch Doc 2 and then talk about it, Toby. That's what you do. Yes, so we're going to watch part two of The Curse of Peladon, which... I absolutely adored part one, having been quite surprised because previously on Happy Times and Places, I would say uh, I, uh, you know, I'd never I'd never have picked this as a a particular favourite. It was always one I've rather taken for granted just because uh, it was one of the first that I saw. So obviously once I'd seen one, that was a notch on the bedpost and I was more excited about the ones that I hadn't seen. So because it was one I saw quite young, it never had quite that luster for me because I'd seen it. And for me, it's always, I always want to sort of have or try what I haven't had or what I haven't experienced. Um, so uh, <laughs> probably explains why I've got so many failed relationships. But anyway, not that I've ever... Anyway, let's not get into that. Let's watch, let's shut up, Toby, and watch The Curse of Peladon, Episode 2, that I'm going to press play. And you'll have heard in the background, it's been sort of setting off of its own volition. I'm going to press play in three, two, one. It's The Curse of Peladon. Do you know what? Part of me wants to go back and edit that opening, but the whole point of these is that they are what they are. So, if you didn't like it, sorry. Um, I love this title sequence. I love this logo. I love this music. I love the fact that the music... Uh, sounds like it's 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 noises bouncing off the corners of time and space I I don't it doesn't feel to me like it's played on any instrument that is what I think is glorious about it um so uh that's that's that there's lots of lovely stuff there you know Hepesh is protecting the king Hep- you know heppish is again the king essentially and yet he's doing it for him so that's a that's a beautiful dynamic he's very protective of the king but does bad things for the king's own good uh, there's a, a lot to say there um the fact that the doctor has rescued islia means that they now have a nice bond um uh and 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 the doctor obviously of course absolutely cutting through the poppycock of any idea that there's a curse uh, and and going well, no, uh, it's 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 ghosts don't push statues over. Um, uh, you know, shows the Doctor's worth to, to to a story like this, just as the character that that the Doctor is. And here is Alpha Centauri, who I barely talked about uh, in in episode one. I love Alpha Centauri. I love Stuart Fells' funny little. Um, Doddery, um, fussy body language, and is Anne Churchman what a blooming legend uh, that she uh, uh, has? Uh, she got the biggest gap between Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who performances, and she's in her nineties now. And I was always because this was one of the first DVD commentaries that I did. I think it was the second set, and we had Terence Sticks, Let's Chris the John, and Katie Manning on curse uh, is there a crash zoom here that's a. but if not that's a lovely i love that shot the depth that we've got there that that set has the throne room behind it and then the throne room has a raised bit as well so the staging of that look at the depth and the amount of characters in that shot and then we cut to a high shot in the throne room it's a really brilliant use of space a very canny piece of of, of blocking as well to make the picture constantly interesting and attractive and, and, and have the dynamics of, of the positioning of the people. That's really well directed by, by Lenny Main. Um, what was I talking about? Yes, uh, 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 nice moments between Joe and the Doctor where, you know, he trusts her to go and do a little bit of investigating uh, and she's got the, uh, you know, she's got the chutzpah to do it. Um, and I like anything that's a sort of, uh, you know, an unspoken moment, uh, and, 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 and you know, Pertwee can be very patronising of, of of Joe. I've been mean, Pertwee, I've referred to the doctor Pertwee, um, but 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 I, I but they they also have those moments of understanding between them that I really really like. Um, He's a complex doctor, old Pertwee, isn't he? Because he can be infuriating sometimes. But you you get the impression that that's the sort of point. But I think because we also know that John Pertwee himself could be a bit sort of pompous and a bit testy, we go, well, is that just him doing that with the doctor? And do we want a doctor who's flawed? But, of course, the whole point of his doctor is that he is flawed. That's his whole journey, isn't it? He, you know, and he's ultimately punished for his flaws in Planet of the Spiders and cleansed in a Buddhist way which is just great um, that the most sort of clubbable and establishment doctor is uh, is 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 uh, sort of uh, yeah uh, detoxed by Buddhism but um, there is no plot I'm being completely honest with you in fact is I think in, in uh, Paul's book The Discontinuity Guide, not just Paul, Martin Day and uh, Keith Topping as well he um, they use that as a as a double entendre, do as as a as a as a, as a line, uh, that, you know, that King King Peladon's saying there is no plot, i.e., there's no plot in this story, but there's plenty of plot in this story. Um, haven't even mentioned that King Peladon is played by David Trout, I was so excited when I read in the credits uh, of the Doctor and the Monsters showing I was a credit reader even then. Um, David Trout, son of Patrick. Oh, how exciting! Um, and I know David said that he was. Uh, I've, inter- I've had the pleasure of interviewing David. That he was. Uh, that he was. I think offered this, um, having been an extra in Enemy of the World. We can spot him. Um, I I love the relationship between Joe and King Peladon. Um, I mean, Peladon is a bit soppy, but you know what? Again, when I was eight or however old I was, I absolutely fell hook line and sinker for this and they don't they don't have an awful lot of time to sort of uh establish it you know it's very much a you know it's, a, it's not it doesn't develop like a relationship in a modern drama developments it's a bit sort of fairy tale and yet the two actors ab- absolutely sell it I, oh you know that you know how to, you know how to chat up the girls well he does now he makes a real hash of it later on Uh, I love you I'm going to execute your friend (laughs) but I totally buy this and this is beautifully shot the close ups of the hands and everything again I think the sort of quality but look and look at the way that she looks at him um and you would fall in love with her, wouldn't you? Of course, you'd fall in love with her. Uh, oh, now he's going to put his foot in it. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, hey, hey, baby, do you want to? Do you want to come back to my place and speak to the Commission of Aliens? <laughs> oh, it's wonderful because it's it's all great character stuff, and it's and it's good for their dynamic. Um, and, you know, the fact that he's he mucks it up so royally, excuse the pun, is, is the sort of point. But it, it totally works. He's excellent, she's excellent. Uh, that's a brilliant shot of Hepesh uh, doing his, you know, again, fairly sort of cliched high priest thang. And I've always wanted to have some of that stuff that you throw into the flames to make it go... Pooh. And I loved Grun the King's Champion. I discovered a thing that I, that, uh, 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 I don't think was... Was was uh, uh, understood by the the the, uh, the 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 Doctor Who people sorting out the DVDs and stuff um, uh, in that because Gran is credited as Gordon Saint Clair, but I once saw an advertisement for a, an Australian Doctor Who convention that said um, Gordon Stoppard run from the Curse of Peladon will be appearing or whatever. And then there's Gordon Stothard, who is a Cyberman in uh, The Wheel in Space, and actually then crops up as one of the warehousemen in uh, The Invasion, where there are plenty of Cybermen and he doesn't play any of them. Um, but if you look at those warehousemen it, they're Gordon Stothard, actually, Stothard and uh, Miles Northover, who's a, a croton. So both of those warehousemen who, who, in episodes two and three of The Invasion, or certainly episode two, um, who, who carry the crates and have the strength of, because they've been cyberly augmented or whatever, um, are, are, you know, the faces underneath Doctor Who monsters from around that time. Uh, and you can see that one of them is Grun. And I went, oh, so Gordon St. Clair is gordon stoppard is gordon stothard ah they're all one and the same person and then it all sort of fell into place but i don't think i don't think anybody had, uh, had had kind of put that together when we were looking at where to find people for the dvds and stuff like that um and i've had an email about gordon recently which might not be good news i need to double check that um i, I kept meaning to write to him he he's definitely went to australia um, I mentioned him to Derek Ware, and Derek Ware wasn't very complimentary, and I can't remember why now. Uh, uh, but 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 Derek could be Derek could be down, a bit downbeat, especially on people who weren't proper stuntmen, because uh, Gordon, of course, has the the very long fight scene is, and Derek was not happy about uh, the Curse of Peladon because it's the it's the one outing, isn't it, of profile, which is basically Terry Ware's uh, T- Terry Walsh's outfit that was basically stealing the havoc idea, but then then. Uh, it was just Terry Walsh. It wasn't profile, and profile were never seen or heard of again. But uh, Derek Ware was, yeah, was 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 not happy about the departure of Havoc from Doctor Who, and in fact a lot of seventies television, because he was stung by not being able to be a stunt union, and and I think he felt that Terry Walsh kind of nicked nicked the Doctor Who gig off him because he was uh, because he was a good double for John Pertwee. Um, love the relationship between these two so Katie and Gordon Stothard both ended up in Australia um this but I, I loved Grun I remember again what when I watched this for the first time the, you know the 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 good-hearted mute looking at it now it's as bit as uh, sort of as patronizing as the strong silent uh, uh, uh and he's you know you know black man character of uh of of either of the Daleks and Tomb of the Cybermen, and you go, uh, I mean, do you, do, 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 can, can we not have another character from the from, from from the black person? You know, it's that seems a little bit. You go, oh, that's a bit. And and now that I'm much more conscious of of how disability is portrayed, you know. Um, uh, uh, you know, I have to be conscious that I'm not being patronising of the of the mute character by going, oh, well, he can't talk, but he's got a heart of gold, and he's easily duped. I mean, substitute black black man for disabled man, and you've sort of got the similar sort of character. But you could also say, and oh, they're all tall as well. They're being mean about tall people, but um, but I I to to have to have I I like the doctor's relationship with Grun, and I like the fact that Grun although he is sort of controlled by Hepesh for a bit, ultimately does does the sort of right thing, and the, and the Doctor spares him in the fight later, doesn't he? Which I, I like all of that sort of stuff. Um, this is a great ruse, of course, because, spoiler alert, um, Ar- Arcturus is the bad guy, uh, but this is a nice little um, s- plot sleight of hand that the Doctor, of course, thinks it's the Ice Warriors because the Ice Warriors are bad guys. Um, the, in fact, the Doctor's being a little bit racist here. Um, you know, he's encountered some bad Martians in the past, and he's like, well, I'm automatically going to think it's you. Uh, and Alan Bennion is excellent as Islia. Um it's, I've got a feeling Paul wrote somewhere that Islio is one of his favourite Doctor Who characters. I might have to bear that in mind <laughs> for when I'm choosing my favourite things. Um, I now I remember there's a bit in this where it doesn't doesn't uh, Skell say I, you know I found it in the hands of the princess. I'm sure that comes later because he finds her when she's searching the the Martian quarters. Um, Oh yeah, because it's been planted. So that yeah. So the, the, the sort of who done it um, mystery is, is is fairly you know uh, economically and ele- elegantly done as a, as a as a piece of you know straightforward adventure storytelling. Um, so a lot of things going out of focus in uh, in, in this. Uh, I, I I I love these ice warrior costumes. And this is uh, lovely Sunny Caldinez. There's there's a theory amongst some of the uh, high brains of fandom that Skell and... Skell, who's the one in Monster Pelodon, and Sorg in this are actually voiced by Barry Letts. Um, and I'm sure David Brunt... Yeah, why are you here? But I thought he'd got a hint of... Yeah, because so, I always thought he had a slightly American accent, but a, a Barbadian or Jamaican accent can seem most Yeah, isn't isn't that sort of that slightly American sounding thing a bit? Could could that not be a slightly Caribbean sort of twang that that? Sonny Caldenes does actually have, but, but David Brunton, I think Nick Pegg, and, and, and some of those hybrids swear that it was Barry Letts who was too honourable to say that he'd done an acting job in Doctor Who, uh, but that did sort of say it, slip that fact uh, to them in a brown envelope or uh, under the kit, under the table. Um, I don't know either way, but it's an interesting curio that that has been raised as a thing. Lovely, again, high shot there, which is great work from Lenny May. um uh so, and and yeah, because you actually think Grun is being, or the Doctor thinks Grun is being helpfully, but he does actually become an ally later on. Um, but I do like uh, Arcturus. I just love the design. I love everything about Arcturus. He's this brilliant head in a box that's got that liquid uh, flowing through. He's got that chippy little, gitish delivery about him. Um, but but Alpha Centauri is, uh, I mean, you know, responsible for one of the great Doctor Who anecdotes of uh, director Lenny Main saying, uh, taking one look at the costume that didn't have the cloak at the time and going, looks like a giant dick, uh, and then take it away and they take it away and put a cloak on it and send it back to him and goes, now it looks like a giant dick in a cloak. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> Um I speak with you. Does that sound like Barry Letts? Oh I don't know. Because of course I always found it slightly perplexing that they go to the trouble of, of giving the Ice Warriors mouths. And you can occasionally see the mouths move in some of the other Ice Warrior stories. Um uh, but they the mouth doesn't actually move. It's it's the hands of the earth princess that's the bit i remember although i think i'd remembered it as being sorg saying it um but it always perplexed me slightly um that that actually the ice warrior they go to the trouble of giving it a mouse but then when it talks its mouth doesn't open or close you go oh why why uh, i don't understand that because it, 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 it would be easy enough to do to have the actor opening, and I and I know the the Ice Warriors are, are sort of post dubbed. Um, Islier isn't because he's got a very mobile mouth, but the the other Ice Warriors, including uh, Bernard Breslau in uh, the Ice Warriors, are are uh, you know pre-recorded and and sort of mouth along. But it, it seems a bit odd to have a, a totally closed mouth on a on a costume that has a a, a slit for a mouth and an actor. With a mouse, but uh, not quite got to the bottom of why they do that. This is this is very well done. Again, this film stuff, such a limited amount of it, but it's re- but that I really feel the wind and the and that, that whistling noise. You know, you can it, it, it really sells the whole sort of inclement weather, uh, and and that's brilliant. That, that you know you you totally buy the height and the, and the stones sort of tumbling down and the dust. Uh, it's all really really nicely done and that whipping wind uh this is great stuff isn't it this is great stuff and, and, and just the doctor and the companion uh, are very game throughout this they they, they engage in the adventure and they, they you know they throw themselves into the danger um yeah terrific terrific gotta love it uh, why have I never loved this story like this uh I, again I think it's just because I'd seen it so early that i I, I was more interested in the stuff that I hadn't Uh, hadn't seen um uh and yeah so i i but i did get to do the uh i did get to do the dvd commentary uh on this um uh we we couldn't get david trout and i think there was a feeling at the time as oh, he doesn't want to be on it because he doesn't want to talk about his dad or whatever and then i emailed him to do who's around and he it was perfectly happy he talked to me and i've worked with david a couple of times and he's absolutely great and perfectly open um I think he was just busy and not available. Um, uh, love the costume for Agador, mighty Nick Hobbs. I saw Nick Hobbs in a BBC thing a, c- a couple of years, only a couple of years ago. And uh, of course, he's an Amy's Choice. He's one of the few credited classic series actors. I got into trouble saying this. I mentioned uh, uh, that Gilbert Wynne in the Crotons. I said, oh, you're one of the few actors to have done uh, classic Doctor Who and Tortured." And somebody went on a forum and went, well, uh, there's this actor, and this actor. And you go, are you going to qu- quibble with my... Use of the word "few." It's just my way of pointing out that Gilbert Wynne was in Torchwood and in Doctor Who. I, I think it's reasonable to say "few" because of all of the actors that have been in Doctor Who, not that many of them have been in Torchwood. But I somebody will go to a forum to quibble with such phraseology. Uh, compared to the amount of doctors that have been, actors that have been in Doctor Who, Nick Hobbs is one of the comparatively few. Uh, these ice look great. These corridors are brilliant design. They've got real length to them. Um, you really get the sense of scale. Um, And they're great costumes, the I swear costumes. Nick Hobbs uh, is in Amy's Choice because he's a stuntman as well as uh, 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 an actor. He's mostly a stuntman. Um, And uh, and I saw him in this BBC drama uh, and I went, well, that's Nick Hobbs. Isn't that great that he's still working? Because as I say, it was very recently. Uh, And I went, but, He's, he's surely not going to survive this opening sequence that he's quite prominent in because it's he's Nick Hobbs and no, and he goes to the roof and chucks himself off. But I was very pleased that I still because I you know you always play that game with Terry Walsh, don't you, where you go well he's going to climb up a ladder and fall off it or get clonked over the head, and uh, I was pleased to see Nick Hobbs and go yeah well he's going to fall off something. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I think the Ice Warrior costumes are very, very, very good. And I, and, I, and and I it always excited me because, of course, I knew when watching these Ice Warrior costumes that they'd been in old Doctor Who. So they're even better because they were... Basically, the longer ago it was, the, the less likely I was to have been alive when it was on, the better. Just, <laughs> self-hating, can you get that? The further it away something is from your existence, the better it actually is. Um, but... Um, uh, he's he's got great dignity, old uh, old uh, Alan Bennion, and 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 Islier is a is a fantastic character. Uh, I, again, I remember loving him so much. I like Sorg Sonic Cannon as well. I do prefer, I think, uh, the Sonic Cannon to the to the sort of wrist guns uh, that the uh, the other Ice Warriors have, which. I, I, but i guess because i probably this was my first experience of ice warriors and sometimes your your first is is your sort of d- d- definitive because um, i'm sure, i wonder if for fans who had been brought up on the orig- you know the ice warriors of yore um like i can't believe they've given him a sonic cannon why hasn't he got an arm gun this is a complete aberration of what the ice warriors meant to be clearly when they uh, forged the way of peace they got rid of their uh, their, uh, their, their 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 wrist weapons uh, and went for a a, a handheld cannon it's instead <laughs> um, but um, oh haven't the modern ice warriors also not got the the brilliant claw things too yeah I mean come on guys um, make it work I love the ice warrior claws if saw can grip onto his cannon and not make it go off at the wrong time uh, with with a claw, surely a modern ice warrior could, could cope with having a claw um, lots of beautiful, you know it, tr- it trusts its costumes to go in that close, uh, Lenny Mane is not afraid to pull the camera right back in the set to give it a sense of depth and scale, or then to get right close in on his actors and his uh, uh, and he, he also does a few zooms, doesn't he, I seem to recall um, I'm really impressed with Lenny Mane's direction of this um, and he's not a director that uh, that often gets sort of praised, particularly in the, in, the, in the. You know, his 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 story is that he was the you know he was the funny sweary Aussie who who died tragically. Indeed, I've made a documentary about him, uh, and uh, was very very pleased and flattered uh, to be well, so welcomed by his his twin daughters Sadie and. Uh, Nikki um, um, Hepesh is a wily old fox isn't he Um, but the, the beauty of Hepesh is that he is doing the right thing as far as he is concerned it's not some crazy I want to take over the world because I'm mad or I want to kill people because I'm evil he he is worried about the future of his planet and he doesn't want to enter the EEC. He's, he's basically a Brexiteer. Uh, and, uh, you know, all, all, although I am uh, not of that inclination, I am not also not somebody who dismisses people uh, of, uh, of the different political views to me, of being awful, evil people, um, beyond redemption, because, um, if you think like that, you're essentially a Dalek, um, if, you know, um, the, the you know, what it, what it, what is the truth, and, uh, what, what is best, it's, 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 it's usually a, a mixture of things, and, uh, and I'm, I'm aware of the inherent, uh, contradictions and flaws in my own, uh, my own political view, and I, I, uh, I have to be in that of others, but we, uh, you know, by by acknowledging we are all hoping for the best, um, even though we have different different uh, uh, different ideas about how to achieve that. I think you 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 you're on a you're on a better footing. That may make me sound naive, and yes, I know some people are gits, um, but um, and but I there are gits on both sides of uh, the uh, Galactic Federation argument, um, but I think this is this very maturely. Um, although Terence Dix also say, well, we'd always say, well, well we didn't, uh, we didn't, uh, we, we you know, that was all, there was, there was never any intention to do political stuff. Rubbish. Rubbish. You're not telling me that this is a coincidence and that the miners in in Peladon are coincidence. It's just that Terence would, that was, Terence Roy sort of back. that sort of stuff. Oh, no, no, we just didn't want the, te- the test card. There's absolutely no way that th- this, the parallels between this and the uh, entry into the common market w- w- were just a massive coincidence. Um, Terence just didn't want to make a big thing of it because he would never suggest he was making anything highfalutin uh, because he was far too humble, and because he wasn't. He was making a kid's adventure cereal. But it is one that resonates because of things like this. That could be one of my favourite things, the political subtext and the way that it handles it, I think, quite m- maturely. Um, I also like Joe and King Peladon. Uh, I, lo- I love that scene where they seem to be getting on, and then he goes, Yeah, c- could you, before we, yeah, uh, here are some flowers, here's some perfume. Uh, I'd love you to put on that perfume when you go and speak to the other delegates on my behalf or whatever. Um, I love Alpha Centauri. I love Islia. Paul's going to choose Islia at some point. Uh, or or the fact that the Ice Warriors are good. I might roll those two things into one. Um, uh, I will choose for this particular episode. What was my favourite I think I th- I think the scene between Joe and King Paladonna which speaks to I wonder if I should save this for the last episode because I think it's really sad when she says goodbye to him and they, they have a little kiss. Um but I th- I think cuz Joe has several sort of attempted affairs, doesn't she? Um and you know, I don't think I'll be choosing her a- a- holding hands with the latep. Uh but, but i i I think this this one really does work and I remember it taking... and I'm not one particularly for soppiness in Doctor Who um i you know I'm not'm I'm, I'm, you know i'm I, I, I certainly don't do cartwheels of joy at the idea of the the doctor being in love with somebody because frankly all other programs have central characters who fall in and out of love with each other and and, and as somebody that finds you know as a, as a as a as a kid who was never. Uh, you know, very confident about such things. It was nice to have a, a a series where those things weren't important, that you could have an exciting and adventurous life whilst being a bit unsure that you'd ever, you know, be able to ask a girl out or whatever. Uh, and, 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 I, and I think that Doctor Who being quite asexual is, 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 is a refreshing point of difference between Doctor Who and, and other characters. I actually think the way that Russell T. Davis dealt with that was... was actually very good um so uh so even though my my natural disinclination towards it I can I'm I can be changed I can be I can i I, I can be made to swing in the other direction um but but yes, it's I, I'm disinclined to sort of care that much about lovey-stuffy stuff in Doctor Who because everyone's programmes have lovey-dovey stuff in, whereas Doctor Who's is the one with the exciting aliens and blah de blah. However, when it does it and it does it well, it can be because sometimes it does it badly. No, Lartep, Andred, you know, etc. But I think I think this is so well played by the two actors. Um, and it's done with such economy and yet that it's pulled off it's believable even though it's you know its raw elements are not believable it happens so quickly and in such a small amount of scenes and he makes such a hash of it so often but it it works because of the way that it's played and the way that it's done it it's it's that it's, it's they get given just enough um and the actors are trusted to use the small amount of screen time they have to do that to, to do it, and they do it, and and it is very touching, and even the uh, and you know it's brave enough to sort of show Peladon's screwing up, but for kind of understandable reasons, um, and I liked all the shooting of it, those lovely close ups of the hands and the, and and that, that ties in with with Lenny Main's you know, shooting right close up in the faces as well, uh, so Joe and King Perladon kissing in a tree, <laughs> kissing in a throne room uh uh with his i mean his with his boots and his shorts which is an odd combination isn't it uh i mean his shorts you know barely cover his thighs and his boots go right above his knees i think uh, that's that's certainly a combination you don't see very often uh that i, I won't be uh, I have to say i won't be uh, I, I won't be rocking up to the chalton arts club uh, in that kind of combo uh, <laughs> I, I'm... I'm, I'm Strictly a cardigan man nowadays. Now, um, I've got to find Paul on my computer here. What's he going to choose? Paul Cornell, Doctor Who writer, special guest.
1: Choose about The Curse of Peladon, episode two. From episode two, my favourite thing is Joe's relationship with King Peladon. Get in! So well drawn and gives the companion her own screen time and her own plot in a much meatier way and is actually amounts to something more than the usual companion and um guest cast member look at each other a little bit fondly and then go their separate ways at the end of four episodes
0: um yeah absolutely it is it is and it was worth picking definitely worth picking because then suddenly the hates just coming from behind uh which i wouldn't advise you to do kicking peladon not until you've smoothed things out um (laughs) uh, sorry uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, but judging by the two introductions I've done to these episodes, that's not going to be the worst thing I say for this this edition of the podcast. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to go to bed now, much happier than I was an hour ago when I started uh, this look at the Curse of Peladon because I've done episodes one and two together, and I'll return for episodes three and four, as will you. Uh, but um, I go to bed, uh, even Stevens with, uh, oh, I hope I get to do that at uh, the Green Death. Uh, how are you doing? The green? Stevens, we're evens. Um, but I'm, uh, yeah, uh, even Stevens with Paul Cornell uh, as we're halfway through the curse of Paladon. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Um, and uh, I will speak to you. Next time, we find ourselves trying to gain entry into the common market. Um, spoilers, reader, we we did, and then then we aren't anymore. Um, but that's one of those other things I won't get into online. Um, am I a coward? I just think there are probably better people at doing that are doing it than me. Um, anyway, I think there's better people at doing most things everything than me, apart from waffling on and not knowing how to end a podcast. I'm very good at that. Well, welcome everybody. It's time for episode three of The Curse of Peladon, which I, to my surprise, have been thoroughly enjoying. I, as I say, I thought I'd quite enjoy it. I've always found it perfectly diverting. I'm loving this. It's like having... Being on a comfy sofa in front of a log fire. I am in front of a log fire, but it's not been lit. And I'm not on a comfy sofa. I'm on a sofa that is knackered, but I can't afford a new one. But that's a first world problem. What would it be like being on a medieval planet where you can't even get access to the Galactic Federation who will no doubt be able to provide you with sofas instead of the uncomfortable stools that you're sitting on uh, right now, so uh, I am going to. <laughs> oh no, I don't need the remote control for the Blu ray player because I'm watching on Britbox. And I'm going to press select or play or whatever it is I do in three, two, one. Uh, I've pressed it. I promise I've pressed it. No, yeah, I have. Oh, it took a while there. It's like filling in a form to get entry into the Galactic Federation. Um, Alexa, Volume Four. Look at that! I love this title sequence, and I'm seeing it occasionally. Um, well, I suppose people sometimes wonder what what I watch on. I've got a projector, so I watch it on a, on a wall. So I'm I'm seeing a lot of this Doctor Who much bigger. I've ever seen it before because I've never really had a giant telly or anything but we uh, we don't have a telly at the moment we just have a a project projector so we have the establishing shot of the citadel of Peladon and on Mount Megeshla. now I was thinking about this just this afternoon when I was considering uh doing these two episodes tonight episodes three and four and I think when I was younger I'd always got it in my head that the cliffhanger was the Doctor being made to fight Grun, the King's champion. And I don't know if that's because the Doctor Who magazine episode guide or archive said that or if it's one of the end of the chapters in the book. But I remember when I did finally get the full version of this on video, which was quite late in the day because, as ever, it was a story that I'd seen, even though I'd seen it as a youth and I'd only seen it once. There were a lot of stories when I was collecting DVDs I had never seen they were the priority, so this was this was quite a late one. Familiarity breeds contempt, or at least, you know, uh, it's like I've 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 had him. <laughs> I, I want to try something new. Um, uh, but anyway, so when I did finally watch it, and the and the episode ending was you are sentenced to death. I remember being oh oh that's quite unusual. And of course, I'd seen that cliffhanger because I'd watched Doctor Who and the monsters. Um, Lenny Wayne's camera work is really interesting. Um I I because I, I never massively rated him as a as a particularly fascinating director uh of of Doctor. Who. I like his kooky camera angles in The Three Doctors, but that has a lot of problems in terms of production, Three Doctors. Um a Monster of Peladon is 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 not great. I've always had a soft spot for the hand of fear. I'm looking forward to doing that because uh, I uh, I've always thought it's got unnecessarily short shrift. But here we are on Peladon. The camera is thrusting backwards and forwards and between people in the and and, and the, there are some some great close ups um but also some great um sort of positioning of all of all of the characters. Um and Pertwee is absolutely made for being noble in a medieval castle and then having to have a big fight, uh, and I will be interested to see how much of this episode is a big fight. And that, see, there's a zoom going right in, but it, 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 it somehow it doesn't seem. Oh, that's a great shot of Blor. Uh, Blor, uh, forgive me, Grun. You're saying all Queen's champions look the same. Um, Grun shot from below. Gordon Stothard, aka Gordon Saint Clair. Oh, I found the email I got about him. It was a it was a blind alley. I think Gordon is still around, and living in Australia. Ah, um, uh, the doctor. The doctor, gambling a little bit there with the, uh, with his uh, his, you know, false position. But you know. Hepesh doesn't know, so it is a you know, it is a a useful gambling tool, although one that is on a very dodgy premise so that again makes quite good drama because you go, well, it's a perfectly good reason why Hepesh might you know, want to avoid that situation because he doesn't know what we know but also, if that's the doctor's only defence, and he does find out what we know then the doctor's in a pickle, so like all of that um don't need to shoot King Peladon from below to make him a bit taller than Joe. Everyone's taller than Joe, uh, and it's, it's. The, I, I quite like the politics of this: is that he's the king, but actually he's he's obliged to do things a certain way. He can't just he can't just go. Well, I'm the king. I, I will do this, which are, I think are less, a less a, a, a drama with less. Um, sort of amb- ambition might just go, well, you know, the king is the king and that's all he can do. Whereas this this is, sorry, the king is the king and so what he says goes. Whereas, you know, he's got to keep the people happy. He's got protocols he to, has to follow. His high priest, church and state, you see, his high priest is almost more powerful than he is. Um, and I still want to know how this hair works, you know. Uh, do they... Do they do they diet to signify that they're? I've never considered that they might actually that it might be unnatural, because uh, because obviously the, the the miners of Peladon are the ones with. But you wouldn't make yourself look like a badger, would you? You must be born as a badger, uh, and then you are sent down the mines. But that's a bit unfair. That's a bit sort of racial profiling, isn't it? If you're if you're one of the badger people, you have to become a miner. But I I want to do ballet. You're a miner. You were born a miner, and you'll always be a miner. I've got pink hair, but hang on. I I, I thought she. Would, have you been sleeping with the king or one of the high priests? Uh, no, you. I've heard of milkman with with pink hair. No, there's. I've, i I was. A, I'm a milkman, and my father before me was a milkman, and we never had none of that pink hair. You've been sleeping with the king. <laughs> uh, oh, King Peladon, and David Trouton, I think, does a really good job. Because King Peladon is a bit of a perk at times. <laughs> uh, I really like this scene between uh, the Doctor and, and Hepesh, because Hepesh, Hepesh thinks he's a good he himself is a good guy. And Pertwee, one step ahead, you know, killed while trying to escape. You know, he's not going to fall for any old tricks. And then this is a scene with no humanoids in it at all what uh, does humanoid just mean human shaped anyway with no with no earth people or earth type people in it at all it's a dialogue scene between uh a, a stroppy stroppy ball of snot in a box uh uh, uh a high-pitched cock uh and uh, and uh, a wheezing lizard uh and it's great and i love it uh yeah actually pencils like that are quite trendy these days ones that look like bits of wood um Um, and of course, because Jeffrey Toon, of course, comes to Doctor Who having been in the big screen version, whereas I don't. Yeah, well, yeah. So he's not he's not altogether uh, good. Because I was just thinking about actually, you know, people going from the TV series into the films. Although Barry Ingham, because he he he's he's in the Mythmakers and Doctor Who and the Daleks, but. Um, I suppose Philip Maddock is in the Dalek film before he's in any of the TV. So actually, most people who are in, the, but because I think I came to. No, because I came to. Well, I came to Doctor Who and the Daleks, the film. Late Dalek invasion of Earth. I always got. I always got the second week. I always missed Doctor Who and the Daleks. I remember, crying, s- s- scorching tears. Because I'd missed Doctor Who and the Daleks and Doctor Who and the Dalek Invasion of Earth, twenty one fifty A.D. was on again, and that always meant ah, they're doing the double bill, and they did the first one last week, and I'd see, I saw Dalek Invasion of Earth, twenty one fifty A.D. several times before I saw Doctor Who and the Daleks, um, and uh, Jeffrey Toon plays Temesis, the Alan Wheatley part in in the movie, but yes, as I've just talked myself round to say, a lot of actors did the movies first and then came and did the TV versions. Um, uh, uh, yeah. uh, I I love the little the little rocking movements. Uh, I was going to say I like the I like the veins on uh, on Alpha Centauri's head as well, but I I suppose that adds to the illusion that uh, Lenny Main wasn't terribly happy about. But it it does mean it's better than a sort of you know just a sort of big ball. Uh, you know it, it needs the texture to look to look you know slightly organic. I mean now you'd you know you'd add. Glist, you know you'd add something glistening wouldn't you although actually i think i think alpha centauri is great uh and it's a it's a clever idea having the all of the arms attached to the to the one arm um but but there is a sort of slightly mournful countenance to the sort of slightly droopy eye <laughs> <laughs> um and i and i and i love uh arcturus's uh bu- bu- bubbly liquid to the side oh is he almost hugged sorg then um I really like Pertwee's uh, outfit in this. This is a great, it's not too, he says, looking at the frilly shirt and about to say, it's not too flamboyant, but it it somehow isn't on Pertwee. As, uh, is it Larry Turner said, two people can get away with frilly shirts, Jimi Hendrix and John Pertwee. Uh, uh, So, uh, yeah, I just had a thought then that I'm not going to share with you. Uh, about um, something else Jimmy Hendrix and jumper we have in common but um, yeah um, if you know what I mean uh, keep that thought to yourself But if you don't know never mind uh, <laughs> and here is Katie Manning uh, walking through the corridors oh yeah having a chat with Sorg now does he sound like Barry Letts? Now you see Islay, that's quite Caribbean, I would say. I, I don't see why that's not Sunny Caldenes. But as I say, others have done research. But, but you know, I think sometimes you have to have the courage of your convictions. And I, I don't see why that's not Sunny Caldenes. Although I am, you know, I am intrigued by the idea that it might be Barrylets. But it seems to me too good to be true. It's too nice a story to actually have any credence. Um, And I've certainly never seen any evidence of it. Um, Alan... Alan Berlin is great. I like this line about... Yeah, Arcturus is a coward uh, and uh, Centauri is a coward. Alexa, volume five. I, and I, I'm sorry because I was talking. As say, it says, Arcturus is a coward by instinct, and Alpha Centauri is a coward by no Alpha Centauri is by instinct. anyway, whatever. By logic, Arcturus is a coward by logic. Alpha Centauri is a coward by instinct, uh, and I love that. And then I love the fact that because we're still a little bit a step back from the Ice Warriors, going. But hang on, they're they're the bad guys. Oh, and hang on, why the heck is Arcturus listing in? Uh, because still here, we don't entirely trust the Ice Warriors, but we def- But now we don't trust uh, Arcturus. I'd forgotten about his um, his uh, eavesdropping. Um, but, yeah, we are s- still slightly one step back from the... He's going to do the walk-into-the-camera thing. I love it when people do that. Um, uh, the, the, because the Ice Warriors are bad guys in Doctor Who, so we're still... You know, we've been primed to go. Ah, oh, come on. When are you gonna? When are you gonna show your true colors? It's not easy being green, um. Uh, and, and and it plays with our expectations, so that then when Islia does that bit where he goes, it has to be unanimous. You know, I I I voted in the doctor's favour because he said, well, it gets, gets you a little bit, doesn't it, if you're a if you're a boys' own adventure type like I am, and you go, oh, I like that sort of that brave moment. Ah you know that 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 moment of sort of honor you know uh, that, that that islia does Islia's great uh that's george giles as the as the as the captain who uh who was uh uh i think well versed in musical theater i think both in actuality and euphemistically if you know what i mean uh i, I i'm sure terence and katie and i think even lenny main um now maybe lenny hadn't been interviewed but there's a few interviews where somebody said there's this guy playing you know the butch captain of the guards and he was uh, he was uh, he, he, he was perhaps uh, slightly uh, uh more more yeah less less used to uh, the cut and thrust of the uh, of the battlefields than the the cut and thrust of the uh, uh, some after hours acting club i don't know i don't know where i'm going with this but you know what I mean. i'm saying he was very camp uh and uh and in fact my mum went to, went to see a production of the king and i and brought back a program and he was there in it as one of the uh so he was you know he was a big b- musical theater guy he's no longer with us sadly but he's but i believe he sounds from the, the the interviews i've read that he was quite a character you know he's bit, bit sort of ooh you'll have someone's eye out with that dear of the sort that just keep you chortling away uh, on a long studio day so uh, and yet he's um, he's he's as, as as convincing as he needs to be as the uh, as the guard captain in this uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe that he's secretly wanting to shimmy so good for George Giles as the guard captain uh, I th- think he has a lovely moment in episode four as well that I'll probably get all soft about um It's it's quite it's, it's it's yes, diseliminated, and he means business. I love Alan Benny, and as uh, uh, islia and I, and I really like how, uh, you know, islia you know, he's obviously very power you know he, he 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 could make them pay uh if anything's happened to the doctor and and he trusts the doctor enough and is indebted to him enough for his uh, for his life that you know he will bring the full force of the ice warriors to bear but it's not arbitrarily wielded force it is it is force that is sort of righteously uh displayed because good goodies. I love this. This is a sort of definitive Pertwee moment, isn't it? Of him taming a dog, basically. Oh my little Bernard is asleep on the sofa over there. But I like, lo- I love. Um, that's a very Pertwee thing. And doesn't he s- scratch him behind the ear at some point? Which I adore. Pert was great at those little sort of touches. Um, what's he? Is he gonna? Is he gonna stroke him now? Yeah. Ah, I love. I love the Doctor's relationship with the. Uh, with Agador, uh, and the fact that you know, he he, and, and the fact that the doctor's so sort of calm. He goes, it's just an animal, and I just have to tame it, and it'll be fine. You uh, know, it's exactly what he needs to. It's a very Doctor. and of course, Joe comes in and you know wrecks it like she does a, a Bunsen burner experiment. Oh, you silly cow! <laughs> In fact, the Doctor is nicer to Agador than he is to Joe. He's not really. Uh, but but, um, but I, I, I love the little device on the screwdriver. I buy that that works as a as a hypnotising... Oh, I'd so forgotten the joke. Where he hypnotises Joe. That is brilliant. <laughs> that is such a great gag. Um, <laughs> um You've ruined another experiment, Joe. Um, uh, that's all right, you silly woman. <laughs> it's essentially the subtext, isn't it? It is 1972. you from 1972? Yeah, it's me too. Um, uh, great. Good work on the, uh, again, good work on the positioning of the people. Um so it's it's not as not as cramped as it, as, it is, as one might think um, but yeah the doctor and of course clocledaha Partha clacharoonoonoon uh is to the tune of god rest ye mary gentlemen let nothing is that it whereas it's it's the uh it's the uh, it's the in, it's it's the summoning of Azal that is Mary had a little lamb backwards isn't it and that was all the stuff that was delightful um, anecdotage when one read you know Doctor Who a celebration or the first interviews uh, and, and Curse of Peladon was uh, was was ground zero for a few anecdotes the uh, the uh, uh, oh and it's it's close your eyes my darling well three of them at least isn't it Cacilda Partha men in clutch. <laughs> uh now that he says clickly depart the men in clatch in uh, in the demons that's what he sends bock away to as well isn't it uh but that's a that's a that's a great joke close your eyes my darling well three of them at least <laughs> love all of that stuff um, it, yeah yeah Oh yes, so, so of course if they prove that Agador exists that that uh, that will betray Hepesh's plot. Um and Peladon's not gonna listen, is he? He's gonna he's gonna set, but so so Hepesh has sort of had to play his cards now and show his his true colours really. Uh that he's he doesn't wanna listen to reason. Uh you know because if because actually reason will show that that tepesh is is the bad guy um and now i think we're going to have a fight uh, now of course these guys are sort of up in a up in a cockpit aren't they and uh, uh, and the fight is uh fight is 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 well below them but i think that is uh i think this is that's fairly well done because i've got a feeling we now on film see look at that that is an excellent shot from the ceiling of uh the Terry Walsh doctor <laughs> and uh uh grand the king's champion uh, the, the real sense of scale of that um and of course because we never see them in the same shot as it were as uh, as uh oh but Peter we were still quite high up because he he came from the rope there uh, as as king peladon and co uh, because they're in the studio um but I think it's shot it shot reasonably from below. Uh, this stuff looks great on film. Uh, up goes the rope. Uh, I'm, I'm never sure about... I suppose because he's... Grun the King's Champion is mute, presumably, because he doesn't have a tongue, because he can make the noises. But I I think when I read the book, I imagined him not making noises. I think him making noises is a little bit... It's. It, it, it it it's it's it, it feels a little pejorative. Um uh you know, it's the sort of yeah, it's the sort of noise you would make if you were being pejorative about somebody that was that was uh sort of disabled or whatever. I dunno. I'm thinking out loud. Um well I'm speaking out loud, which Grun can't do, but again he can make a noise. So that I mean that's cheating. What I, I mean there's nobody watching Hepesh and the captain and going uh, is that really? Is that are they, are they the rules? Uh, because you know, a sword against a wooden stick. I quite like the way that it chops the stick down, though. Um, but but they've they've just given him the sword. Has nobody said it? that's against the rules? Surely, isn't he? Could now go. All right, well I'll chuck him a sonic cannon. Um, but this is the only fight done by Profile, which is Terry Walsh's short-lived company, uh, having essentially nicked the gig off uh, Derek Ware. Which poor old Derek was very unhappy about. Um, I had the I had the pleasure of meeting Terry Walsh. He died far too young. When you think about it, sort of now, uh, the you know then everybody seemed so old. But uh, I did I did meet Terry Walsh very very briefly. But uh, uh, I, I, I met Derek a few times. Um, uh, and this this was you know the, I think there's a bit there's, a, there's an illustration in the book. This is this I was I was actually. Th- worried that this would be interminable but I like it, I like the, the realistic sand, I like the realistic sort of filmy look of it all um, it's actually a very well done fight and it's it's actually very well filmed and I, I thought there'd be a few more obvious Terry Walshes and actually there aren't because uh, Pertwee's hair is less bouffant than, than we're used to so actually I, th- I, th- I think oh and of course the Doctor won't kill Grun because the Doctor is honourable yeah, yeah, live. Well, you wouldn't kill anybody, but, uh, but, but yes. Uh, and then we have quite a confusing cliffhanger, I seem to think, because uh, there's this lovely zoom there. Poor old David Trachten has to look around, and then yeah. yeah, you're not entirely sure what's gone on there. Uh, but that's okay. And I, of course, I hadn't seen that because uh, because uh, i I'd, I'd seen the Doctor Who and the monsters. I'd seen it sort of edited t- together, but it is quite a confusing cliffhanger there. But you. You're aware that, I think you're certainly aware that um, Arcturus, Murphy Grumbar and Terry Bale had uh, a had, had, had sent a set, you know set a gun out because we know that he's got a gun because he killed a vase in episode one, but I think you also know that that sonic cannon is the uh, you can make out that that Sorg. So but but yeah, somebody shot somebody. It's it's I'd still I'd tune in next week, but it's it's quite a quick old. Quite a quick old thing. But um, I was worried that that fight would last forever. And in fact, a lot of the episode was taken up by um, the Doctor's confounded escape. But that's not padding because in another story, the Doctor would be, you know, set free as it were. And uh, try and make an escape and then get caught. And then end up at the end of the episode pretty much where he was at the beginning. But here, of course, he escaped. Uh, He was allowed to escape by Hepesh, which is a nice character moment for Hepesh, but also um, uh, encountered Agador. And so I was able to do the bit where he found out that Agador was real, uh, had a little bit of bonding with Agador, um, a nice moment for Joe to be a klutz and the Doctor to accidentally hypnotise her. So that all worked very nicely. Um, uh, although, you know, minus 10 points to Hepesh for... <laughs> Off in plain sight throwing your guy a sword. I'm um, uh, yeah. I I think if even I think the king's power should extend to going you can't do that. Uh what is my favourite bit now? I have to be careful to plan ahead, because I got two things to do next episode, but I also I also have to play the game a little bit. And I think my favourite scene in that is the one where, where Islia comes in and, and says to Joe, I voted in the doctor's favour. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a bromance moment for me that. Um, and that I think ties in with what one I nearly chose for episode one. And I better choose because I wouldn't be surprised if Paul chooses it at some point. And it's the fact that the Ice Warriors are good is. I think it keeps you guessing. I think it plays with your expectation. As I say, when I was a kid, it seemed like the most sophisticated thing of all time that you suddenly, not all monsters are bad and some monsters monsters that were bad can be good. I mean, when you're, however old I was, six, seven, eight, that is amazing. Uh, And I like the fact that Doctor Who threw that in. And actually, when you're a grown-up, it, it you know it's it's also a little bit more complicated than that it's uh, uh, you know that the the all the things that make the ice warriors are still ice warriors in islia and so you know they're 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 powerful they are sort of warlike there's a sort of regality about them um you know he issues threats in this to, to hepesh um you know he means business um but they, they seem to have sort of sorted their, their act out. Or perhaps, you know, if, if you're on their side, they're nice to you. Or, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of people's countries, races, whatever you want to say, are, are like that. So I think I'm going to choose the fact that big switcheroo uh, from Brian Hales with his own monsters
1: that the Ice Warriors are good. Um, from episode three, my favourite thing is that the Ice Warriors are the good guys. Um, When I was little and encountered uh, The Curse of Peladon entirely through the medium of the novelisation, that revelation was mind-blowing. I mean, you put together a, a monster book where you list all the bad guys and then suddenly one of them isn't. I think that says good things about the show, both ethically and in terms of twistiness.
0: Yes, Paul, well, I didn't come to it through the book, of course, although we did have the book. It was one of the first books we had, but as I say... I came to it through, so I knew the Ice Warriors were in it actually, but I hadn't realised they were good till I watched, till I watched it on Doctor Two and the Monsters. I was too young to read the books properly, I think. Um, so Paul is a little bit older than me, but uh, uh, we both the same thing. So actually, I'm going into Episode Four where, all right, we've got to choose two things. Two, so I've got two chances to fail. Two, one, up. This is a rare position. Talk about about turns. Never mind the Ice Warriors being good. Toby is in the lead uh, uh, with the Planet Peladon book, but, but, but next week will it all be snatched away from me to a margin of fifty-one uh, percent to forty-nine percent? <laughs> who knows? But I am delighted that Paul, who is a you know proper writer and uh, scholar and uh, somebody who has turned his own. Fantastic imagination uh, and produced great work under the Doctor Who name uh, that uh, uh, he's, he's sprinkled me with a little bit of his stardust by being in accord with me there. So I cannot wait to see uh, what we have uh, both chosen for episode four and our bonus thing as we see how the cliffhanger is resolved, whatever that was about, uh, next week on the planet peladon but for now they call me toby 21 up Heydoke, which is what they i mean they do right now and they and i'm taking it for the small small little window in space and time where that is the case uh uh until next week when i'm back to being toby loser hey Doke. <laughs> all over again but i shall enjoy my moment in the sun Well, welcome everybody. It is time for the fourth and final part of The Curse of Peladon. Mm-hmm. I'm just uh, rewinding a little bit uh, because uh, I let it run on a little bit uh, for uh, part three that has just finished in Haydock Towers, but uh, you've had to wait until this installment for the conclusion that I'm doing straight away afterwards. Uh, watching it like I did when i first saw it all those years ago when but actually not exactly like because it didn't have this this uh, exact moment of title sequence um because i watched it in two parts two 50 minute instalments edited together in a season called doctor who and the monsters uh, that my mum had noticed in the paper and, and uh, uh, I didn't know what Doctor and the Monsters was. Oh, it was just an umbrella for a title for a season of repeats. I knew what The Curse of Peladon was because we had the book. So this was very, very exciting. And what's even more exciting, everybody, is that Paul Cornell, writer of Father's Day and Human Nature, Family of Blood, two of the finest stories to have been broadcast under the Doctor Who banner since 2005. I'm a big fan of New Who, let's call it that for convenience sake. uh, And I'm a big fan of Paul's contributions. Would love to see him do some more. Uh, I think he's produced fine work. Um, So I'm delighted that I've chosen two of the same things as Paul. (gasps) So we have two things to choose. A thing from this episode and an overall bonus thing. Let's see if I can, uh, for the second time only, and I've got this close a couple of times, and blown it. By being stupid. So <laughs> I'm going to keep an eagle eye on this episode and look for brilliant things. So I'm going to press play in three, two, one. It's the curse of Peladon now. Uh, I've got it on pause so it's played straight away. Whereas last last episode I, uh, I, I pressed select and it took forever. So I, I have to say you deserve points if you manage to sync up entirely with my viewing uh, the Doc 2 logo has just turned green, for those of you that want to do that. Um, so, and one of the things that surprised me when uh, I came to learn about the Curse of Peladon uh, many years later, that is that uh, it's in an absolute uh, mess. Uh, so we didn't have uh, Arcturus' gun then, did we? Uh, oh, Arcturus is dead. So now, and it's interesting how quickly this sort of switcheroo happens... Uh, so we've we've cut uh, they they haven't messed around hepesh and the captain you know shoot off where, because frankly they've 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 shown their cards in in the form of a massive sword that they threw at grun although grun is still trusted to be the king's champion because he was sort of being done as he was doing as he was told by by hepesh but so hepesh and the captain have just gone so none of this sort of courtly intrigue anymore uh, we we you know He's, he's, he's out in the open, uh, and 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 that's the the starkness of that is is matched by the starkness of the cut. We didn't wait for an outcome of of that scene up in the bunker and getting the doctor out of the out of the uh, out of the pit of fighting. It's just straight back into the throne room uh, and uh, you know making a plan of action and all being on the same page, which I think is 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 a nice piece of economy and it sets up. Final episode, um, uh, you know, in a, in a completely different direction now. So Hepish's he- 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 plan is out in the open, so now he's going to enact it. So suddenly the stakes are, you know, uh, having had to do sort of negotiation and little bits of character plotting and, um, you know, setting up of ghosts and moving of statues and all that sort of thing. Now uh, now it's full-blown insurrection uh, so that's quite a nice escalation of the, of the story. Um, <laughs> I, uh, now, yeah, so, uh, a, a couple of things surprised me about this because we did, I did the commentary for this and we had, um, Terrence Dix, Barry Letts, Chris Doyley, John, Katie Manning for the whole of the four episodes, um, and I think, as I say, I think we thought we couldn't get David Trachten because he's a terribly grand theatre actor. And in fact, he's always perfectly happy to talk about Doctor Who, and his lovely. Um, I don't know if they even tried his Anne Churchman. See, I wasn't at the I wasn't at the planning level at, at that stage. I suggested Ralph Watson for Monster of Peladon, but um, but but I got bolder as time went on. This is a nice little uh, creep into to Grun to suggest that he's. Uh, uh, it, He's uh, he's uh, oh, he's he's colluding with the doctor, but actually he's not, is he? Because he's, he might be doing something with Perdon. I like, I like, I like, I like the little moments with with Grun, where you know that Grun is a good guy, but you also know he's prone to do as he's told by, by uh, by Hepesh. um, and he's he's a nice sort of additional character. I like the whole dynamic with Grun, uh, in this, uh. uh because it it, it does actually surprise you a couple of times uh and there's and there's something nice about you know unspoken things i like an unspoken thing because i'm a because i'm a man and i don't don't, and using words to express feelings or solidarity or or anything at all is an anathema and i know that might seem a surprise to people who listen to this where i don't shut up (laughs) but um yeah, anyway, I like grunt is what I'm trying to say, but I'm saying it using way too many words. So actually disproving the point I'm making. Um, so, yes, we had uh, those four and we didn't have Izan Churchman. And in fact, they didn't interview her for the for the thing. And so I assumed that she was either too old or too poorly or not interested uh, and then actually I interviewed her with, with Phantom Films uh, and she was perfectly willing, she was perfectly game. And that was about 10 years later. So I don't know if she was overlooked, if the fact that she was in Birmingham meant that she was deemed too far away, which I think is a mistake. So Izan is not in, is not on any of the... Uh, in a new interview, I know there's archive stuff of her where she doesn't she say i i based the voice of alpha centauri on a homosexual uh, civil servant or something <laughs> um uh but i very odd that she she's not on the dvds where um had i had it not been the second dvd i'd have been involved in i'd have perhaps asked asked a few more questions as as to that um uh, and Benny and I know had, had contributed to the seeds of death very unwillingly because he kind of felt he'd said all he had to say and then by the time that these came along it was just like no I'm not I'm not interested and um, as I said I had two different friends promised me because they sort of knew him uh, that they'd uh, get me a, a signed picture of him and neither of them did um, and uh, um, but yeah but uh, um, and and Sonny's not on On these either And then we did get him For later DVDs So I don't know What happened with uh, With the, the 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 Peladon I can't even remember The The making of Documentary But if it's just the same people that are on the commentary, I shall be livid because that's my pet hate when there's a story that is represented by loads and loads of people. Uh, Because you would think, ah, they're just being, you know, they're they're being financially conscious because they've got the commentary and then they do the making of uh, and just film the people they've got for the commentary. No, very, very rarely was the making of filmed on the same day in the same place let alone even by the same team as the commentary so if the commentary and the making of have the same people it's it's a laziness but not of geography and availability because they'd have to rebook and repay everybody as i say there are exceptions um i, I love grun <laughs> and i i love all this this uh uh th- this fight where you know he, he he gets punched and doesn't feel anything and then he picks the guy up and i like that going out of focus and then the george giles being very yeah being oh and then grun gets hit on the head by a rock which you could do in the 1970s and not cause the inevitable brain damage that it would now but i like that sequence with grun because it's everything that's good about him he tries to get her he fails to be understood so he tries to drag him along then he has a fight where he's uh, impervious to the punching picks a guy up stands bravely and then gets hit on the head by a rock um I love the way that, see, this is a brilliant thing about democracy, uh, <laughs> has to be unanimous. Uh, and we go, well, that's a good thing. Uh, uh, but then they intimidate Alpha Centauri and you go, well, we only like that because they've made Alpha Centauri vote for what we want. If it was the other way around, we'd cry foul. And that's democracy in a nutshell um not playing fair is all right if it gets the result i want because well i'm on the side of good Uh, and this is where most political discussions are terribly flawed at the moment because everybody seems to think what they think is right and should be achieved by any means necessary which is not what democracy is (laughs) and that and i'm afraid both sides of most of the arguments happening at the moment don't seem to be able to take an objective view um uh, but objectively there, Alpha Centauri was basically bullied into uh, voting. So that was imposed democracy, which uh, uh, is uh, is an oxymoron. Um, and of course, this is wonderful, of course, because Joe's platform is, uh, is, 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 is is a fairly fragile one i.e she's not a princess from earth oh and then we've had the whammy of going oh yeah and you're going to marry king peladon and she's sort of been painted so she's in two corners at the moment she's in the corner where she- that she's painted herself into that she's uh, a princess from earth and everybody else has painted this other corner that's got flowers uh, and uh, wedding bands on it um oh Nice bit of sorg action. Um, so the other the other thing that I didn't uh, I can't remember what that's about. So, so is, is that is that their communicator device has been uh, communicator? Why did I pronounce it like that? Their communicator device has been uh, sabotaged. Um, Grun. it's it, Grun is a bit like Lassie, isn't he? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! What do you mean? Hepesh has fallen down a well. <laughs> uh, now grunn's got pink hair as well so he he's not of royal blood unless there's a special way of producing the king's champion anyway let's let's not get into that Rawr. Uh love a bit of agador um not frightened of a big chap like you i love that <laughs> um yeah, quite right. I, I like the fact that she's 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 put on a slight princess hoity toitiness there, isn't hasn't she as well? It's like I'm, I'm a princess, don't you know? Um, <laughs> so what's what's this Sorg is our spaceship has been deliberately destroyed. Oh wait wait, wait. wait. Our, our spaceship's fallen down a cliff and uh, I'm not really a princess um so that's nice uh the, the 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 good guys are suddenly sort of besieged so for all the power that they represent they are actually only representatives so uh, in a sense it's like yeah it's like a load of ambassadors have been kidnapped and uh, now being held in the SS- embassy it's sort of who dares wins uh with John Pertwee as Lewis Collins <laughs> uh so it's a it's a sort of civil war, and I seem to recall the the sword fight uh, here being uh, 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 a pretty oh yeah. So uh, and that's difficult because these guys would have been actually serving with each other not that long ago. I king, yeah, no, far much before the king. But you could kill you could kill your mates who you used to stand guard with just by accident of the fact that they're they're the ones guarding the palace and you're the ones not. I just find that a bit mean. Uh, this is. This is brilliant. Uh, the, the, the the conversation that Islia and Joe try to have while Alpha Centauri <laughs> hassles Sorg who doesn't know where to look. <laughs> I love Alpha Centauri. One of the great. I think both Islia and Alpha Centauri uh, are really excellent Doctor Who characters uh, in every respect uh, writing, performance, c- conception everything this is a great sword fight really hard to do in a studio it's nicely because and a lot of sword fights in doctor who look crap because they're that you have to be quite careful in a studio there's a lot of people here you can hear the metal of the swords it's like a proper stage fight um clearly by people that sort of know what they're doing and there's there's the thrust as well especially which is especially good seeing as uh you, you can't really hide anything because everybody's got rather a lot of flesh on display uh oh is that peter brace um sorry (laughs) spot the stuntman never spotted him before might not have been um and i love the uh the disappointment that he has because he's essentially you know his 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 dad i mean he's not he's a high priest but he's his his mentor You've become a stranger to me. And I, and I and I like the fact that and, and none of it's... There's, n, there's no sort of hatred between either of them, even though they're completely odd. So I think it's it's quite a sort of mature depiction of, uh, you know, difference of, of opinion. In fact, they conduct themselves rather better than, I would say, our politicians do today. So there's something to be said for a feudal medieval system. <laughs> no, but, I, I you know, but at least there's a even though hepesh is deeply flawed and hypocritical he he at least has a he conducts himself with some semblance of honor although that's even more hypocritical you could argue i suppose that th- at least today's politicians are honest in their dishonesty but i i i, I actually prefer it if if the ship of state at least um, is is guided with some sense of ceremony that 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 uh, makes it seem like it's doing things properly um, but maybe that's uh, maybe I'm easily uh, distracted by ceremony uh, mm, I don't know I don't know, It's not, anyway that, this isn't a political podcast, this is a Doctor Who podcast um, he's got a wonderful voice, hasn't he old uh, uh, Jeffrey Toon um, and Yes, the doc, the, 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 uh, oh, and I keep meaning to say, so because I was so familiar with, uh, the curse of Peladon, I was quite surprised to discover, I think episode three didn't have to be baked in order to be rescued, maybe it was episode two, that it was in such a mess, uh, and I think this is a, this is all reverse standards convention, um, so it's, it's, it's an American print that, that has slightly less clarity, uh, and a fluid movement than the original would have done. But actually, I, I don't necessarily think that does these stories a, a disservice. It, it, it makes them just seem slightly more filmic in a way. Um, much as I love the beautiful immediacy and cleanness and sharpness of the image of videotape, uh, I, I accept this as a compromise, but I, I also accept that that means that these things don't look quite as they would have done uh, the uh, the reverse standard conventions episodes uh, as, as the ones that we have in their you know on their proper proper videotape so the the, the part we are interestingly is' a, is a, is a weird menagerie of different uh, styles um, just because of you know where we retained them from but but I know that and and are we gonna have a big big old zoom yeah it's a slightly oh that's a decent Zoom. oh uh, and this. This is the source of the great holy flaming cow anecdote that Barry Letts wrote in Doctor Celebration. Terence Dix stole uh, in the DVD commentary. Uh, and, and if you don't know the anecdote, I'm sorry if I've told this in one of the previous episodes, it was a couple of weeks ago, that I was watching or last week. Short-term memory is the first to go. Um, but basically, on the original take, when Agador walked in, the extras basically didn't pay much attention. And Lenny Main said... This big bear's walked in. You wouldn't just go look at it and not say anything. You'd look at it and say, holy flaming cow. Uh, And, of course, some dignitaries are being shown round BBC Television Centre and they walk in as soon as everybody turns around on take two and shouts in unison, holy flaming cow. Although, hear me, flaming cow is a sort of, of course, a euphemism for more colourful language. Um, That's the anecdote. Barry Letts tells it in a celebration. Terence nicked it. Uh, in in the commentary of this uh, store by is yours now I, I always think you could do a slightly better line than you set so much store by it see that seems a little prosaic to me but uh, Jeffrey Toon does it well and it's terribly terribly sad and he puts a hanky over his face and it makes me want to cry uh, I think that's really nice oh they're waiting for you oh Joe you know it's. Ex- ah, oh, I love that She's, she's oh, I love that because she's going this is what you have to do, you're the king, they're waiting for you, this is your role, you know, and that's the that's that's what I mean I think about politics is that sometimes you have to be sort of more than human, you have to be your role in politics and if that means showing a bit more disc- decorum uh, not being snipey, not being insulting, not, not swearing, you know, whatever it is that you do, that makes the office of state um, that gives it the the, the 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 grandiosity that it needs in order to make us respect it you know I think that's all part of it that's why I don't I don't like you know politicians squabbling like the rest of us on Twitter or whatever they should be better than that and I, and and again I love this that the oh, I love this bit that the that the king that the that the that the commander gives him the sword to say you know slay me I've been bad God I'm a sucker for <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, there will be no and he, and I love the way he says, Your Majesty. It's really moving. It's a kind of... This
2: day shall be white
0: yeah, but that is... I love the way he does, Your Majesty, as if he's saying, you know... Just thanks for sparing my life. I think there's a lot, there's a lot unsaid in that. I think that's wonderful. Although you know, wiping wiping the memory of this from our history books is a bit like. So you okay? So that's uh, that's propaganda then, isn't it? That's uh, never trust. Never trust the paperwork is what they're saying. <laughs> um, so, but I, I was, because Terence Dix not only nicked the anecdote, he nicked Barry Litz's euphemistic use of the phrase. Holy Flaming Cow, which is, of course, not what Lenny Main said. Although a friend of mine did write to, an, to Nina Thomas from... This is how Doctor Who fans are funny sometimes he said and, and she'd answered the question about Lenny May saying no I thought he was lovely actually and I said oh what, what what question did you ask then that she's refuted he said oh well I, I wrote and said uh, Lenny Mayne was by repute a foul mouthed dozy uh, who swore at inopportune moments did you like you know was he awful to work with and you go no you've you've interpreted a really nice fun anecdote about Lenny being a bit sweary when some dignitaries were coming round and, and turned it into a really negative thing and you can see how Stuff gets sort of turned by, you know, whenever anyone's writing the history of something, they want to sort of scoop, you know, and and so so even with the, the the little bits of evidence you have, you can turn it into a tabloid headline if you want. They've turned that fun story into Lenny Main was awful, and you get really and also that's not what you write when you're writing a letter to an actor either. But anyway, long time ago, they were young. Um, uh, but uh, what it what it did mean that I got to hear that, that Terence Dix, who also, by the way, did I tell you this in episode two? I might have done so, I'll be brief. Um, I, I mean, David Tratton's wearing a wig here, but he had a full head of ha- head of hair. And I think, it, was he Colin Baker's flatmate at this point? He was certainly his best man. So they all know each other, it's lovely. Um, but Terence spent the whole of the commentary going, look at him, bald old coot now, because they just, I think, had, had Midnight been on. Maybe it had. Yeah, maybe. I think Midnight had just been on, which I think another reason people thought, well, he won't want to be associated with old who because he's a new who. Um, uh, I may have got my dates wrong there. I may have got my dates wrong. But certainly David Troughton had been in something. Where he was to quote Terence Dicks, a bald old coot, and he kept saying it, and it's not in the finished track at all. So Mark Ayres has clearly got a bin somewhere where he's got the phrase "bald old coot," uh, and uh, <laughs> I say that as a as a yeah, bald old coot myself. Um, and as I say, I'm quoting lovely Terence, who had a full head of hair right to the end. Um, I I I loved the uh, the King Peladon and Joe Kiss. That was as racy as Doctor Who got. And I I totally was totally believing their their love story and was sort of a bit disappointed that she didn't go with him. I I would have happily I buy their relationship. I totally buy their relationship. But obviously as a fan and as a viewer, I want Joe to stay. But I know she'd have been happy with King Peladon. I think I think Katie Manning acts it absolutely beautifully, the pair of them do. Um should we join the position? Oh, but what Terence Dix still... I'll get to the end of this anecdote. Uh, Oh, well, not quite yet. This is Wendy Danvers. Uh, As I record this, uh, Wendy is in her early 90s. I've met her a couple of times. I've I've had a Chinese meal with her. She used to live, I think, next door to Hannah Gordon. She lives in the same sort of 15-mile radius as... Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Ollis from The Three Doctors. So I think that the Lenny main rep all live in, within quite a small area of each other. And actually, Bernard Cribbins as well is not far from them. But she is one of the few people who says, Doctor Who, uh, and she gets the close-up at the end. But she, she was, she, she was a, a, an extra in the canteen in The Bill, Wendy, so she's not always had credited roles. But uh, what she gets in Doctor Who for her tiny appearance is not only does she get to say Doctor Who... But she gets the final close-up, which I think is fabulous, seeing as she hasn't been in it at all. And it's the lovely, it's the, you know, waiting for Godot, except Godot has turned up at the end. Uh, and she plays Amazonia. Um, but the end of my anecdote is that when episode two finished uh, of the commentary, and Terrence had said, holy flaming cow, several times, and... Barry Letts was a gentleman, so he didn't go, "Oi, you've nicked my anecdote." He just very quietly, uh, note to self, bleep this in a minute. Um, he just very quietly said, "Actually, what he said was holy." F-
2: Beeping, beep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I heard. Yeah, now I've bleeped that out because I don't. I don't really want to swear on these. I, I try not to swear if I'm talking about Doctor Who. People who've seen my stand-up comedy know i have got. The, uh, uh, I'm, I'm as foul-mouthed as they come but it just seems i i, I, I try and set myself the task to uh, at least keep this family friendly uh, as is because that's what doc 2 is and if doc 2 can tell stories about the near death of the entire universe without anyone saying Beep, then i i can i can uh, i can talk about the curse of peladon without so doing as well so i'm gonna have to um oh th- that's the start of the sea devils which sounds like it's going at three miles an hour and is in gravy but that's a story for another time somebody has chosen the sea devils actually um so that's one for the future um there's still th- I mean, i've got loads that have been chosen and the sea devils has been uh steve hatcher who has chosen it has recorded his reasons i obviously haven't seen them yet uh most of the stories are out on a promise some haven't been bought dinner yet um but some are still waiting uh, and and people keep uh what is it flicking left on Grinder, when they see them, to some surprising stories. I mean, Fury from the Deep and the Abominable Snowmen, uh, uh, The Ark. I mean, the, the Ark's not a massive surprise, but uh, Megloss, Revenge of the Cybermen's only just gone. um Anyway, that's all stories for another time because I have to choose. I've got a feeling I told you a couple of those DVD anecdotes before, but um, seeing as Terence (laughs) Dix not only told anecdotes over and over again, also stole other people's. I think I've done that in his honour, if that was repetitive. (laughs) Oh, he was such a nice guy. So uh, my two favourite things about uh, that episode, bearing in mind... That poor uh, Cornell and I, uh, uh, well, we're not, no, we're not even Stevens. I'm I'm one ahead. Um, So what am I thinking? I like the sword fight. I think the sword fight's very, very well done. But Paul is a writer. Uh, I love the bit where the captain, you know, where the captain offers the sword and Peladon doesn't take it. And the captain does the your majesty. So so many tiny moments speaking volumes. But I think that might be a me thing. I think that might be <laughs> I don't know. I can't I can't not mention Alpha Centauri, can I? Alpha Centauri is a thing of genius. Uh, I think Katie Manning's performance is magnificent. I love John Pertwee in this. I think this, this story fits Pertwee like a glove. He's so at home in the uh in the catacombs and the palace in the palace of Peladon. But then in the catacombs he's he's at home with the gentry and the court manners, but he's at home scratching the the space dog behind the ear. That's why he's so good. He's that he He knows protocol wherever it is, if you like. Uh, you know he's he's got the protocol of the of the gutter and the protocol of the the court. Uh, he's you know he's not he's not the snob. He's always he's always uh, renowned for being. Um, I like that King Peladon and Hepesh aren't really enemies, you know, or, or or at least there's still some semblance of sort of respect, and the fact that you know the death of the bad guy. Brings tears from the good guy. I really like that. I really like that. That The cost. And it's an interesting... That's an interesting thing. The cost of doing this thing that they want to do. Enter the Galactic Federation. You know, it, it comes at a cost. It comes on t- turning your back on a friend. Um, losing friends. I mean, yeah, gosh, I know people who... Uh, Sort of have lost friends through one side of Brexit or the other, which seems 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 harsh to lose a friend. Uh, or maybe I'm maybe I'm not committed. Oh, I'm, I like to think I'm committed to my worldview, and I know what I think is right. But I also think the thing that's most right is to keep talking, even to people that disagree with you. Um. Oh, i see the st- it's almost this is almost worse than having nothing to lose, because it's that point now where I feel a bit I feel a bit sick because I know that whatever I commit to I've got the side the, the other side of my head going yeah but what if what am I not choosing that what if I don't choose that and that is the thing it's I it would almost be better to be three nil down because then I could just choose and not worry. Um but I also know that Islea is one of Paul Cornell's favourite characters in Doctor Who. But he's chosen the Ice Warriors being good. Can he Can he do both? Uh, I mean, I, I loved Katie Manning's performance in that, that last scene and the bit between her and King Paladon, but we have already done their thing. Oh, 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 oh. I'm going to choose... This is so hard. I mean, well done, Curse of Peladon, for having so many things. I'm going to choose Alpha Centauri. I mean, it's slightly political there just because Alpha Centauri is so good. Part of me thinks Paul can't not choose Alpha Centauri. And I'm going to choose the fact that, you know, it's not goodies and That the, the, the respect between Hepesh and... and and Peladon, and that's a nod to Geoffrey Toon and David Trotter as, as well, who do who do who both do an excellent job. But I feel you see I've been slightly unfair on the regulars there because uh, this is definitely one where I could have easily have chosen one other or both of the regulars who I both think are excellent in this. But I put myself out of my misery. Uh, uh, yeah. So so the relationship between Hepish and the King, the fact that the bad guys aren't bad guys, and I suppose I could sort of include the guard captain being honorable at the end in that bit as well <laughs> if i want to have my cake and eat it uh all that chivalry stuff that's not chivalry all that um uh you know uh, but, but, yeah what it is isn't it it's it's yeah but, yes all right whatever that is uh and alpha centauri that's easier to say let's see what paul says
1: um and finally Um, From episode four, my favourite thing is Sorg's Sonic Cannon, which was majorly interesting to me, fascinating as a small child. And that interest continued on to um, the presence of the Ice Warriors in the Doctor Who magazine comic strip and their weaponry within. And indeed, in the first role-playing games I created when I was little, which um, often had Doctor Who and Blake seven things in, and Ice Warrior Sonic Cannons were very important in those.
0: Uh, Well, uh, before we get on to the bonus thing, so we're now two all... I, I mean I was nowhere near Sorg's Sonic Cannon. I do like Sorg's Sonic Cannon and I think I do prefer the Sonic Cannon to the to the to the handguns, but I think that's because the first I knew of Ice Warriors and guns was was them having a, a Sonic cannon. And it is a rather special thing, isn't it? Uh but I was nowhere near that. So I'll let Paul have that. So we're on an knife fetch. Let's see what he chooses. But to be fair he could still choose either of my things
1: and um, if I might be allowed another thing my bonus thing is the novelization itself which is a thing of beauty and I read it so many times in my youth and the warmth and comfort and um, sense of joy it gave me back then is incalculable and I think it's very well written by Brian Hales And I think it's got a a very nice atmosphere. It brings over um, the events of the story with a much bigger budget than was seen on screen. Oh,
0: well, I'm gutted. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I'm not that gutted because at least he didn't choose any of the other things that I listed. So is that better? That is better. It doesn't feel any better now. But in the cold light of day, if he'd chosen two of the other things I mentioned, it'd be like, why didn't I choose those? But I didn't even consider choosing the Sonic canon or the novelization, which are both things that I think are well worthy of choosing, and I think I should maybe think outside the box. But I'm gutted, Bernard. Bernard, my dog's looking at me. You look am I a disappointment to you? Yeah. Clickleed a path men in clutch. Um Oh it's it's not the disappointment, it's the hope I can't stand. Um so anyway. Uh, Paul was about to plug his wares there. Everybody takes part in this, uh, does so for free and in their own time, and lends uh, my Wittering's great credibility, not least uh, Doctor Who writer and author extraordinaire, Paul Cornell, and here's him
1: plugging his things. Uh, So that's it. Um, Also, I'm on Twitter as uh, Paul underscore Cornell, and I'm the co-host of the Hammerhouse of Podcast. Have fun with this one, Toby. Bye. Well,
0: I did have fun. I think that was an excellent story. Paul's Hammer podcast is superb that he does with Elizabeth Miles. Uh, and you know, if you're uh, if you're looking to get a break from my ramblings, repeated anecdotes, and tedious facts about actors you'd not even noticed, uh, listen to Paul's uh, Hammer House of uh, podcast. Uh, there's loads of episodes out there now, uh, and. Uh, you know, it's got some great content, and uh, as you can hear, he's a very affable and interesting guy. I'm very grateful to him um, for being so. Key. He was one of the first people to reply to me uh, about this podcast and to um, make that contribution. And he's made me was well, not made me, but he's led to me watching and really enjoying the Curse of Peladon. So I hope you did too. Uh, I'd kind of like to watch it again without some get talking all the way through it uh, you have that option Um, so uh, I'd advise you so to do it's much better that way Um, but for me and I hope for you uh, Peladon was the very definition of a happy time and place until next time bye bye Thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, And my guest was Paul Cornell, who can be found on Twitter. Well, his podcast can be anyway. He seems to have disappeared at the time of recording this. At Hammer House Pod. At Hammer House Pod, which is where his Hammer House of Horror podcast is that he presents with L.M. Miles. I'm grateful to Paul and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include Tom White, Stephen White, Sidney Wilson, Andrew Wilson, Andrew Willis, Reese Williams, Michael Williams, Rich Wiggins, Adam Westwood, Gary Wales, Apollo C. Vermouth, Sablina Tirabassi, Damien Timmer, Nick Temple, Neil Tate, Stephen, Tim Smith, David Shepherdson, Graham Slate, Keith Say, Jim Sangster, Mark Sandon, John Rivers, Dylan Reese, Scott Pride, Kevin Parker, and Jonathan Potter. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork, Dylan Patterson. If you would like your name read out loud on one of these podcasts, well, it's just one of the perks that can be acquired at patreon.com forward slash where for as little as £3 a month and you get 10% off that and all of the higher tiers if you sign up for a year in advance, uh, you get advance material, bonus releases, podcasts unique to Patreonville, monthly AMAs, uh all sorts of other little bits and bobs usually three releases of that horrible word content per week uh and little bits of chitter chatter it's a nice community there it's lovely um and yes three pounds a month which enables me to give proper time to these and you know maintain proper equipment and uh, you know i perform and edit and do it all of all of all of it myself and i'm a self-employed creative so it's the way that we have to do these things now is to set up a patron page i love it because it's totally voluntary and this stuff is all still available but just slightly later and as i say there are a few little bits of exclusives at, at patronville but the the podcasts themselves are still available but if you can or are inclined to uh you, you know do this model there's absolutely no pressure and uh uh and it means that uh these can remain ad-free and totally independent and, you know, done hopefully properly. Patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Tiers go £3, £5, 10 20 I mean, you, you, if you want to give me a million pounds, I'm sure we can facilitate it. Uh, if you can't do a monthly commitment or don't want to, there's something you can do which gets you no bonuses at all or advanced releases. But at Kofi.com forward slash... Toby Hadoke, it's like sticking a couple of quid into my hat as you pass me busking on the tube. Uh, And that's another new way that people like me can hustle to earn a living as performers, creatives, researchers, whatever it is. Whatever it is, I am But man who talks out loud. But uh, (laughs) anyway, the uh, other way you can support uh, if you cannot or don't want to financially, again, it's the beauty of this, we sort of choose uh, you know who we give our patronage to in, in in artistic endeavors we're not we're not forced to by different gatekeepers and i think that's quite interesting i think the future will be a fascinating place to live where you know we can be much more bespoke about what we consume but that does mean there's a lot of stuff out there and if you cannot support this stuff financially and i totally understand that and i'm cool i'm just happy for you to listen uh, however What you could do that costs you nothing is to go to iTunes, Spotify, Patreon and to indeed Twitter and Facebook and sing the praises of these from the rooftops. Five stars always helps, separates uh, these from the very crowded uh, area where all the Doctor Who podcasts congregate and there's some great stuff out there. So five stars really does help uh, and a few lines of review to let people know what they're in for. That just uh, enables these to stick their heads above the parapet just a little bit uh, and that costs you nothing. Just a little bit of your time. But mostly listen, enjoy, thanks for being there. And uh, if you do support these on Twitter, uh, you can say some nice words and at Heydoke Podcasts to uh, any praise that uh, is just useful again for directing people in the general direction of this stuff, which I hope you like. And thanks very much for listening to it. Not going to be much of a post-credits shindig on this one because I'm supposed to actually be writing my chapter on Quatermass in the Pit. Well, I'm continuing. I'm Currently, today, I will probably be painstakingly going through frame by frame, music cue by music cue, identifying each extra if I possibly can. There's a lot of crowd scenes. I won't be identifying each extra, but I'm trying to work out which extra was there on which day because the current... Wisdom, which is basically copied and pasted from the cast lists uh, in uh, in the BBC Written Archives, it is, does not always tally with what is on screen and uh, bears more scrutiny. Now, I wish I was of a mind to just go, well, that's what it says on the cast list on the um, PSB for the script, so that is what is... It- no, 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 no. That's not good enough, because those crowds filmed on that day and those crowds filmed on that day, so who's in the Ealing lot who's in Ealing Studio 2, who's in the studio sequences. Is there any uh, disparity between the two? Um, when that says dead body, does that mean that dead body there or that guy who I didn't realise was a dead body? I thought maybe he was unconscious. You know, bah, 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 oh. So I'm, I'm identifying extras. Nobody cares. Nobody care. I care. You Do you care? Well, if you care about that sort of thing, The Quatermass Files, Volume 1 should hopefully be being <laughs> published in June by 10 Acre Films. And it will have lots of stuff. It will probably, I- I'll probably finish this, which I'm hoping to do at the end of this month, as I record this in March, 2023. Uh, oh, that's my giving away the present day klaxon, whereas these are supposed to be time-centre prizes. Um, <laughs> uh, uh I'm sure the blue pen of editor Stuart Manning will have got through. They don't need to know who was in which dressing room, Toby. Uh, well, I put it all in. Uh, so that's that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Instead, what I'm doing is, is pointless, meandering post-credits because I feel there should be something at the end of everything. like, like Because good things have that, don't they? Like episodes of Crossroads. <laughs> but anyway... That's, there we go. Post-credits thing. I'm going off now to scrutinise frame by frame and destroy the magic. Now, I still love it, you know. I I did have a, a few times with Quatermass of the Pit where I was like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Whereas I used to watch it like three times a week when I was in my teens. Uh, uh, and then I didn't watch it for ages and ages. But actually now I'm doing that thing where I'm watching it and I just forget I'm writing a book and I just start watching again. And, oh. There's so much to get your teeth into. Script, acting, writing. Oh. Um, so not only is Peladon a happy time and place, so is Hobbs Lane, Knightsbridge, even when it is in the grip of the wild hunt. And If you don't know what any of that means, buy my book, get the DVDs, quite a mess yourself up.